Healing frequencies are open. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Clear Skies, our Star Trek Adventures live play with the Stream Punks. What's up? Uh, yeah, I, I, I phrase it like that because this has been a very exciting couple of days for us. We finally launched um, the Patreon. We launched our Twitter account. We launched our Instagram. We launched our Tumblr. Um, things are kind of slowly moving forward, but we got the launch up. So if you guys are aware, um, the Stream Punks Patreon is live. We are going to be developing that over the next couple of weeks, um, modifying a lot of the reward tiers to match the new Patreon. Right now, they're still in the League of Whimsy <laughs> reward tiers. Um, but uh, I just wanted to thank everybody who's been jumping on and following the Twitter account and telling everybody to follow us. A big shout out to our vast friends, uh, Jackson and Colin and Eddie, all those great, wonderful people who have been like shouting out Stream Punks. Like, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Um, and of course, to the Ox crew in general, who has been doing a great job of getting our names out there so that folks can remember that we're out here playing in space still. Every week I get somebody saying, hey man, when are you guys gonna run another Star Trek Adventures campaign? And I'm like, oh man, wow. Thanks Twitch. Um, so um, on that note, I wanna give a huge shout out and congratulations to all of our Ox crew on the Streampunks Discord because I just found out today through Chandra, one of our elder mods, that they passed 1,000 scenes role-played in the Discord. A thousand scenes have been played out in our RPG Discord for Clear Skies. It's amazing. So we can't emphasize this enough. There is a living, thriving uh, world of role-play taking place that is adjacent to Clear Skies, that is informed by Clear Skies. So if you really enjoy the show and you want to sign up for the Patreon, you'll get access to the Discord and you'll be put on uh, our roster, our crew roster. And we also do scene work here on the show so that your characters, your Ox Group characters, are optioned up to be used on Clear Skies. Um, <laughs> we even have a form where you can tell us whether or not you're cool with me killing your character. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. So definitely uh, sign up for They'll that. They'll have to uh, fill that out and say yes. Yeah. <laughs> so huge congratulations to our Ox crew. Y'all are amazing for keeping that world living and thriving. It's so fucking cool. Congratulations, Ox crew. That's amazing. Um, also, just to give a quick update, um, we do have some one shots that are currently being scheduled from our fundraiser. We're going to get to you guys on when those are being locked into place. We'll give you all the information as that's coming up. Predation is very much on the horizon, so stay tuned for information about that. There's a lot of fun stuff that's coming up. I personally can't decide what I'm looking forward to more. Predation, playing a vampire in B-Dave's game, or Ravity running it might be ravity running what are you running again ravity would you please tell our audience oh hi everyone um i'm gonna be running a 10 candles bachelorette crossover i will see you all at the rose ceremony <laughs> i fucking love it so much it's gonna be so so good. Everybody, and you have it. to you have to make sure all of your players have physical roses at their stations. <laughs> like at, at so, whenever you reference the roses, we could all just everyone could just hold it up. So I am actually only like so so my own bachelor. So if you're if you've never seen the Bachelorette, that's totally okay because I'm actually relatively like new to the series myself. But I'm like doing some deep lore digging for this and trying to find ways to integrate it. So I'm I'm uh I'm very excited for this module that you, I'm watching. Bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow. 
Y'all have no idea. When Rave deep dives on lore, it's insane. I was getting, when we were doing, when we were prepping for Clear Skies, I was getting messages on Facebook at two in the morning. Wow, Goldacott's a dick. <laughs> like, I mean, that was like the fourth message I sent you on Goldacott. My first right. message was probably something closer to, you know, I think I kind of like get the appeal. And then it was like, oh no, wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Good times, good Oh times. no, the charismatic authoritarian is that, actually. <laughs> all right, well, those are all of my announcements. Do we have any crew announcements tonight? Anything, I would be shocked if the library bards didn't. Aha, Xander, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, uh, so this past weekend on Saturday, we did an event called Nerds and Music, and it had a lot of amazing special guests, uh, including the Double Clicks, Strong Bad and Strong Sad from Homestar Runner. And you had Aliza Pearl, didn't you? Dallin, just an incredible all-star lineup. Uh, and Jonathan Colton, it was yeah, crazy. And Aliza Pearl? Aliza Pearl, Amy Dallin, it was Amy the best. Dallin. Yes. Still catch the recording of it, uh, and you can find the link on our Twitter, and it's it'll be available, I think, until September 1st. So uh, we've already raised close to $6,000 for charity off of it, and uh, it's just an amazing, fun event that uh, will hopefully bring a smile to your face. Uh, and then on Friday, uh, Gina and I are going to be continuing our campaign over at Pixel Circus. So, yay! Tune into that. Gnarly. Awesome. Real quick, before we jump into any more analysis, I just want a quick... I didn't get a... I, get, I don't want to... I don't, don't give any spoilers, but just let me know, Gina. How did your Call of Cthulhu game go? I only got to watch the first uh... third it was amazing and exactly how you may be probably predicted and <laughs> and um we are gonna try to do more you should do more try. Yeah. yeah awesome bonnie did you have anything mm -hmm. mine can wait till next week oh no next week is blood of the void never blood mind void. uh next monday <laughs> While you're watching ah. Blood of the Void, you can have a dual monitor on and, <laughs> and watch Jason Charles Miller's uh, Music Mondays, and I'll be guesting playing uh, original music uh, as well as some covers, but original music that no one's really heard except for maybe some of our patrons on the Library Bards patron, oh, uh, Patreon. But uh, yeah, some original stuff that that I'm terrified to play for people, so that'll be fun. Yeah, it's awesome. That I've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> Does that start at the same time, Blood of Voice? Is it 6 30? Or does it start earlier? Do you know? You don't know. <laughs> Great question. One day I will have everything that Check I'm doing ACM's, organized. Uh, Twitter account. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I'm going to look this up again. All right. So, Aki, yes. So, I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, but tomorrow is the day. You can catch me on Chaotic Tiefling ATL at 4 p.m. PS, uh, PDT 7 p.m. PST, uh, attempting to not completely embarrass myself doing Star Trek trivia against chat. Um, but yes, it's Chaotic Tiefling ATL. Uh, I am playing with uh, the, the Fletcher family. I'm very excited about it. D Dustin Fletcher's wife hosts this. 
show. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And then this Saturday, I'm celebrating three years of being live on Twitch with the Streamversary event from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. I'm doing a charity event. Uh, I have a special guest in the first couple of hours, but I'm going to be playing community games like Jackbox. I'm going to be stepping into STO for the first time in well over a year. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So if you guys want to come celebrate with me, we start bright and early first thing in the morning and then head into the afternoon. So it should be fun. Right on. Happy anniversary. Happy stream anniversary. Thank uh, you. All right. I think you guys remember when our announcements would be like 18 minutes long. Remember back in the old days when we were in person, they were like 18 minutes of messing around and like, you remember that? Yeah, and we had, we also had like a very long con schedule to announce and things yeah. like that. And those don't exist anymore. What are yeah. cons? Oh no, I absolutely still have a long con or two going on. <laughs> hey -o. All right, with that. Anyway. <laughs> are there any other announcements before we begin tonight? Yes, Sam DeLev. Yeah, we're not robbing a bank. <laughs> We're absolutely not robbing anything whatsoever tonight or any other night. And that's very important to remember. I myself haven't robbed anything recently. Any claims that I might have stolen preview material to D&D's upcoming uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and its magic items uh, are purely uh, Mendacity and I plan to sue for slander and libel as applicable to anyone who makes such a claim. Nonetheless, uh, you you should go check out uh, the, the preview that I did get to do for Dungeons and furthermore, for Dragons, that's up on my uh, Twitter. It was really fun to look at and there's super good stuff happening and an upcoming event uh, that I got to talk about today. So that's super rad. And now we're going to go to a perfectly calm and utterly uneventful evening for which I am nigh inexplicably excited. Let's jump into tonight's episode of Clear Skies. Welcome back. Uh, we are going to jump right into our game tonight because we left off at a pretty critical moment last game. 
Um, as a quick recap, a lot of gears have been turning on how to prepare for what seems to be the inevitable confrontation between the USS Ross and the RRW Spectre, which apparently is a prototype Tavaro modified warbird that can fire while cloaked. This seems particularly dangerous because knowing the technologies that the Romulans have implemented over time, particularly in the aftermath of the destruction of the Romulan Senate at the hands of Praetor Shinzon, the Ross crew, as well as some of the intelligence that has come through with, <laughs> in the advent of having completed some off-the-record missions involving certain Dominion, Dominion operatives, uh, what the Ross crew has learned is that one Admiral Mindak a Romulan admiral of distinction who is feared and respected as one of Romulan Empire's most cunning warriors is in command of this technology that could be reminiscent of what was seen on the scimitar, which combined Romulan and Riemann technology in order to create the perfect cloak, allowing it to fire while under its stealth, which would be lethal especially because the last time Starfleet encountered Tavaro-class warbirds was back in the day when they were using Doomsday-type-style plasma-torpedoed weapons that were capable of destroying entire Federation starbases. As this is starting to unfold, the Ross has been piecing things together and trying to keep one step ahead as the plot begins to it reveal itself. In so doing... The Ross has gained some significant advantages in being able to anticipate how to detect a cloaked vessel in space and how to stay one step ahead of the, I guess I should say, the decoys that this Admiral Mindak might attempt to use, even while under cloak, as to make sure that he can maintain that battle cloak and kill the Ross if he needs to. However, more information has come out that would suggest Mindak is not looking to destroy the Ross. In fact, after doing a tactical analysis, your chief of security and your tactical officer was able to piece together that Mindex seems to have a motive that's preventing him from destroying the Ross outright. Indeed, he didn't even attack the captain when supposedly he had an opportunity. That and trying to uncover what the significance of Sorex, the Romulan former Tal Shiar agent that is defected and now on board the Ross, has been a singular objective these past months as everything starts coming to a head this is no pun intended good timing as well because thanks to the quick actions of our chief medical officer the, not only has the degradation of sorex's condition been halted but it has in fact been reversed and now the question as to whether or not he can regain his lost memories is in play but in order to do so he is going to need a replica or an exact duplicate of the implant device that nearly destroyed him in the first place to send out the appropriate energy signals into his brain to reactivate lost memory. That has been the first and foremost on the mind. But in the middle of all of this, regaining his memory, Sorex has revealed that someone very close <laughs> to one of the members of the Ross was targeted for recruitment by the Tal Shiar. Specifically, Daro. For those of you who don't know, Daro is a, a Federation ambassador. And his link to the USS Ross is that he is the father of one 
Ambassador Olin Majanil. This has been cooking as the Ross has been trying to figure out how to make contact without making contact, but making contact, but not really making contact in order to find out what the hell is going on. Now, it was assumed that this was being done under the radar and a message was composed and sent to Olin's mother in hopes of establishing a low, like under the radar communication to start an investigation on their own to try to uncover the truth as to what's been taking place. It was a bit of a shock because when your mother replied, it wasn't your mother at all. It was in fact your father whose face came up on an emergency channel, not in a text message, but in an actual live feed connection via a high, it is a high ranked security, secure channel, usually reserved only for the highest in the ambassadorial staff connecting directly to Olin's office. That is where we are picking up tonight's game. As Olin, you stand there, you're sitting at your desk. Patience is on the ground looking at you, detecting the sudden change in like body posture, that mild tension as you are kind of alarmed to see your father's handsome elder face appear, looking at you with very concerned eyes on your video screen. Judging from where he is at, it looks like he's probably home, Con judging from the background, not in the office. But he is, of course, wearing the typical Delton choice robes that you yourself often like to wear. He has these folded whites and golds with these lined purples kind of lingering down the sides, the interior of his robe. He looks regal as he always does. Your father has always commanded the room the moment he's walked into it. Never mind the fact that he's also a Delton, which usually turns people's heads immediately. But your father has always had like an air of nobility about him. And even in this casual environment, as you see the upper half of his body and those piercing, knowledgeable eyes looking at you, you're once again reminded of the power of this man's presence as he sits very patiently, waiting for you to respond to his statement, Olin, it's time that you and I had a talk. All right then, Papa, what? Let's have a talk then. What is this? And he holds up a data pad. When he turns it around, you can see what must be the message you sent your mother. This. Your mother presented this to me. We spoke about it and we agreed. What is this? It was a question. I thought it might be. Are you safe? Are you? As far as I know, is there something you should tell me? I have reason to believe that you may be in danger, Father. Why? What's happened? I heard from 
someone, someone who's been on our ship for some time, that you had that someone might be targeting you. I don't know why. The Romulans, Papa. Targeting me for what? Recruitment, apparently. Oh. I was told. Ugh, you say. What does uh mean? You are the ship that the Romulan captive left on. Is that what's happened? Is that who told you? It's not like I can lie to you. Oh, my dear. What I'm about to tell you is classified but I am sure, given the circumstance, they would understand. Well, I technically called you classified information too, so I guess that would make us even. <laughs> oh, Olin. I was so happy when you chose to follow the path that your mother and I chose. I thought it would keep you out of trouble, keep you out of nonsense like this. But it finds you anyway. Particularly in matters of state, it finds you anyway. I was very naive, but I hoped you being stationed on a starship might change that. I was very happy when I found out you were going to be stationed on the Ross. Fortunately, our captain's not quite so inclined. How so? Well, you can take the intelligence out of the Starfleet officer, but... <laughs> yes. You're referring to Captain Azarisal. It's true. Every Starfleet captain I have ever known in my life has never been able to truly leave behind whatever it may have been that they did before. It's not exclusive to former uh, intelligence officers. Uh, I once knew a Starfleet captain who was pure tactical, brilliant. One of the great minds who helped save lives at Wolf 359, put in charge of a science vessel. It was very difficult for them to adapt, but thankfully they had a good crew. I'm digressing. I don't think they necessarily mean it. I just don't think they can exactly help it. Mm. It can be an advantage. 
And the best way to temper those instincts, well, having a good crew. This is very <laughs> poignant and precisely why what I'm about to tell you is so very important. I'm listening. Two years ago, I embarrassed myself. I had a, a rather loud fight with the president. There are certain things, there are certain protocols, as you know, you, you don't break, and yelling at the president in the office is among them. Olin, I am where you get your anger from. I have no idea what you could possibly be talking about, Papa. <sighs> I was going to be fired in disgrace. All of my years of serving Starfleet was falling apart around me. I I had opinions, Olin, about our alliance with the Romulans. With everything that had been going on, I am a strong advocate for Remans wanting a fair and just society, but it's, it can't be the Federation policy to get involved with the other governments of the world. All we can do is try to exert pressure across the galaxy, but there's no point in revisiting this. Suffice to say, I was very upset, and I said a few things that should have ruined my career. Somehow, my relationship and my fallout with the president seemed to have reached the ears of undercover operatives working in Starfleet. I was approached for recruitment by the Tal Shiar. They assumed, because of my fallout with the president, that I might be pliable. And they even advocated for themselves, or I should say, this secretary advocated for themselves that they were very much an anti-Sila movement, a pro-Senate Romulan that was looking to help advance the causes and were secretly reaching out to us. Of course, playing upon my sympathies and trying to spin this story, they thought that I would be susceptible to listening and perhaps engaging what my old colleague, Ambassador Spock, liked to say, cowboy diplomacy. <laughs> but they were wrong. I immediately contacted Starfleet Intelligence. And with Starfleet Intelligence's help, we were able to pinpoint the security breach in the ambassador and the admiral's office. 
And the events that came afterwards were discovering that there were more operatives working within Starfleet Command and the eventual defection of who I believe is now on your vessel. Olin. The Romulan people are a beautiful, fascinating race with a rich culture and a tragic history that they constantly revisit them upon themselves, much like the history of humankind here on Earth. It is in their nature, when they play the game, as they say, to spin things so that the people you begin to think you could trust the most become the people you start to doubt. Do not fall prey to an endless cycle of paranoia and cynicism. It will absolutely eat you alive, and that is exactly what the Tal Shiar play upon each other. Your friend, your... I suppose your comrade, this Romulan on board your ship, told you the truth. I was approached by the Tal Shiar for recruitment. After working with Starfleet Intelligence and uncovering the plot, the president allowed me to finish out my tenure. And in fact, <laughs> the end of this month, I am to retire. You're what? Yes, it's time for me to step down. There are younger ambassadors who have a better understanding of the way galactic politics works today. And I can do more help here as an advocate for the Romulan and Riemann people. You said here? As in on Earth, you're going to? Oh, yes, I'm going to be stepping away from Starfleet diplomatic corps. I will be retiring. Well, yes, and then working as an advocate, you said, in what capacity? I still have friends in high places, but it's not appropriate for me to be an advocate if I'm still an officer of the Federation, or even if I'm an ambassador of one. I will be an influential voice of the Delton people advocating for the rights of the Romulans and Remans who want their say in the Senate. And Mama? Well, your mother insists on remaining in Starfleet Diplomatic Corps, and she has made me promise that I will not make her life difficult. And I agreed. May I ask you something? Of course, my love, anything. Why exactly did you pull strings for me when I got in trouble? Because the work I did 
After uncovering the Romulan plot, in the past year and a half has been the most important work of my career. I wouldn't have gotten that work done if I hadn't been given the opportunity of a second chance. Olin, what you did was foolish. It was impulsive and it was dangerous. And it could have cost you your life and it could have cost the Federation so much more. As a voice of the Federation, the power you have, Olin, it's an awesome responsibility. But I know you. The Federation needs you. Desperately. The galaxy is in tatters from a painful war. <sighs> they need people who are as passionate as you are about standing up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Well, I know that we've had this conversation about sticking your oar in, but thank you. You're welcome. In full disclosure, so that you don't come across another half-truth, and left to figure this out on your own, it's important that you know two things. my retirement was part of the agreement for pulling strings for you. But I wanted this. Truly. And I did not hesitate. So. Your impulse will probably be to sit on that. Don't. I wanted this. This worked out for both of us. I've become too vocal to be an ambassador. <laughs> I am much more of a, a policy advocate now. The Delton people have your mother. They'll be just fine. <laughs> The Delton people could learn a lot from my mother. And so could I. Your mother's much less likely to yell at the President of the Federation in front of the High Council. Or throw a cup of tea in Avorta's face. He deserved it. Avorta are very troubling people. It's very easy to slip into the temptation of, as they like to say on Earth, dehumanizing them. Because they are a genetically engineered people created only to serve the will of the Founders. And they themselves believe that as well. They want you to know that you are speaking to someone who is merely a vessel. And so, I have to tell you, if you encounter another Vorta, do not ever, ever let them see you squirm. 
it's all they want. In fact, I could forward you some rather fascinating diplomatic write-ups by Captain Sisko on how he dealt with the Vorda diplomacy situations. No one has had more success than he, and the man was never geared for diplomacy. In fact, many of his decisions, in my opinion, were a bit militaristic for my tastes. Well, but he punched Q in the face, and I feel like that in and of itself is worth... Yes, can you please send that to me, Lafa? I would love to read that. And if you have any Odo's notes, I'd take this too. Of course. I hope this cleared things up for you. Sorry You're... for the cloak and dagger. You know I'm no good at it. I prefer it that way. Do not get involved with it. Stay away from it. I'm trying. It will confuse you. It will drive you into thinking in circles. It will cause you to doubt the people you are closest to. Just want to go back to the Shackleton expense. I hope that for you as well. You'll be fine, Olin. You're doing good out there. I love you, Papa. I love you, my child. Give Mum a kiss for me, please. I will. Scratch patience behind the ear for me. Of course. She's already begging. (laughs) She heard you. She... Yes, I will do that. Take care, then. You too. In transmission. Congratulations. (laughs) I scratch patience behind the ear and make myself a very nice hot cup of tea and stare out into the stars. Just outside the glass doors of your office, you can see that the blast shield has already has pulled back. And so the promenade just outside, (laughs) am I to understand that the crew, (laughs) chief tech and everyone like smeared against the window. Um, just outside, you can see the socialization that is taking place as Ox crew moves about the promenade. But above overhead, you can see the light of the stars, this glue, this blue glow of the warp, like the warp tunnel, because the USS Ross has been at warp since this has been going on. Um, you can see it just outside the window that overlooks the entire promenade deck. <clears throat> and... Almost like they knew you were looking for them. The tunnel, you see the blue glow flash white and the stars go come right into view. As the USS Ross exits warp at the edge of the system, specifically the edge of the Yukavar system. Yukavar's system is a trinary star system with two main sequence stars, two of them white. One is the neutron star, which is the collapsed core of what was once a massive supergiant. The three of them spinning in beautiful ballet of incredible power in the middle of a solar system. There are seven stellar objects, an asteroid belt, gas giant, a microplanet, a class two comet that moves through the system, a secondary asteroid belt, which would hint that the worlds in this solar system 
<laughs> get pummeled with rock pretty regularly. There is a terrestrial world, a class K, K, K blah, a class K planet on the very edge of the system with a surface temperature of 85 degrees Celsius. Or I'm sorry, negative 85 degrees Celsius. <laughs> um, or negative 121 degrees Fahrenheit with an average wind speed of 121 meters per second. There are no surface life, and it has very violent seas. Do not go sailing there. However, the planet closest to the trinary stars, and by closest, I mean it is a good distance away, the same distance as Mars is from our sun, is Yukani Prime, a class M planet, barely a class M planet. Average surface temperatures are 55.56 degrees Celsius or 132 degrees Fahrenheit, much like California this past week. Average wind speeds, six meters per second or 21 miles, 21 kilometers per hour, so it's very windy. Sparse vegetation on a rocky surface, small oceans, and most notably, a vast underground civilization filled with piracy. <laughs> Quote unquote, piracy. The scene begins with a personal shuttle type 11 touching down on a pad inside of a cave complex. And as the doors of the shuttle open, standing there waiting for you all, you see an Orion who looks a bit different from the last time you saw him. But before I jump into descriptors, who all is exiting the shuttle? Who's here, Captain? Uh, I'm adapting to for a moment because I did not know we were going here till just now. So mm -hmm. uh, you wanted to have a talk with a certain Orion that involves procuring a shuttlecraft, from what okay. I was told. Um, is okay. that incorrect? Um, you, you can veto this. I this is this is based on what you told me you wanted uh, last game. If that's changed, I we can, can switch, switch into it if if we'd like uh, because it addresses at least one concern of uh, Sorex's, namely okay. uh, that the Ross ought not get too close to Nimbus Three in itself, and in turn the notion that uh, a shuttle would take about 100,000 years to warp there at its sort of low warp on its own. Uh, so yes, at a certain point, the, I think we're... Yes, if you travel the full distance in a shuttlecraft, it would be problematic. Even just a little bit, like the differences between warp factors, pseudo-logarithmic equations are a pain, as is warp math more generally. So, uh... Thankfully, this is a television show-based RPG, so we can skip all of that and jump right into, like, the scene where, so... But, uh, if we didn't account for that warp math, we wouldn't need to be here, so sure, um, I can work with this. Whatever you want to do, you're the captain. We're here now, and to that I say, yes and. Uh, so I don't think we especially need too many people on this, but uh, we might as well just take the people whom we are planning to take. So. Okay. Lieutenant Leca gets the thing that I said I would give her an assignment. Because honestly, the best gifts are the ones that you would never get for yourself. And uh, this assignment is certainly something she couldn't get for herself. Further, Sorex is with us. Okay. And Dr. McCrell solely 
to monitor him, of course, and for no other point and purpose. And because he would crack a molar were he not in attendance, <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Prawl. <laughs> okay. So, uh, out, of, out of curiosity, who's been, uh, I guess, Prawl was flying the shuttlecraft. Um, whoever has the best piloting skill between Prawl, Sorax, and Lakat. Okay. It's probably Lakat um, or Prawl. I was going to say Lecat it's probably Lakat. did go last time. I just, I don't make assumptions about Sorax's skill set. Uh, nor do I know what uh, mysteries lie in between the spots. We're not sure. going to let the man recovering from brain surgery drive. <laughs> Just doctor's orders. We're going to let... Also, it's If a... he's not well enough to fly a shuttle, he's not well <laughs> enough to commit criminal espionage uh, to an ally of the Federation, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Touché. that's there. Touché, <laughs> okay. So, that all being said, waiting for you as this door opens, you see a certain Orion. He does look quite different from the last time you saw him. Um, namely, the fact that it looks like he has his left arm from the shoulder down is uh, synthetic. You can see the movable parts, but it looks like his left arm has been completely used by cybernetics. And the coloration in one of his eyes that used to have a patch over it would indicate that it too has been replaced by cybernetics. And he is not wearing a shirt, which is pretty typical for him. He's just weathering his leather breeches and a bandolier across his bare chest, which is just riddled with scars. To his left is a very large Gorn with a very large gun strapped to his back. Um, as the shuttle door clears that horizon where you can see them perfectly, you see behind him is a very active what looks like shuttle pad where people are moving about doing work of all types no signs of violence no real signs of the craziness you saw last time you were here people are not creeping around people are not you also notice that not everyone is armed people are moving about the area um it almost looks like a functional shuttle bay in this cave he has his hands wide open, but what really grabs your attention is stomping up to you as the Gorn walks up to you, which causes Prawl to stand up from his chair and move by your side. Before he has much of a chance to react, though, Captain, the Gorn reaches down and puts his arms around you, Captain, and just lifts you right off the ground in a borderline crushing hug and you can hear the, the the thunderous baritone in his gullet as you he just exhales slowly green captain i take the very rare opportunity to do kicky legs in the air <laughs> yeah it's one of those rare moments where someone taller than the captain has lifted them off the ground and as this gorn sets you back down points at himself and says no name. Oh. Who's this? Slippers. Slippers. Slippers after my father. <laughs> I'm a business owner now. Congratulations. Hmm. What sort of business, might I inquire? Trade. 
and he looks back over at the Orion, and you see Taraz look at you and says, Trade. Trade. Taraz? We're looking well. I have to say, I am. And he takes a few steps forward and says, I honestly didn't know if I was ever going to see you again. I didn't assume I would ever see you either. And yet, here we are. Here we are. Things seem to have worked out for me, as you can tell, getting rid of the changeling. I'm glad to see that my old associate Sprack got the message to you. He did, and thank you for that. I'm happy to report that he's doing well and once again restored to his former glory as Damon. You know, he did use- Are you kidding me? Who would have given him a ship? Ah. One doesn't always receive the things one wants. Sometimes one must need to take them. So, Sprack pirated a ship. Sprack. And you let him walk? Sprack pirated his ship. Sprack got back the liquidator? It turns out there was a criminal in charge of it. And we couldn't let that sort of thing stand, quite honestly. Captain- It was, oh, sorry, but I was going to say it was a very interesting vacation. And I'm just gonna look over at Laquette. Souvenirs alone. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know where it comes from, but the luck that you bring people, you are most welcome here at the new Orion Trade Union. Really? Oh yeah. Good for you. Owe it to you. And I'm guessing you're here to cash in on a favor because I see a Romulan sitting in your shuttlecraft right now. And he glances right over your shoulder where Sorex has been sitting in the back in the dark watching this happen. And he glances at you the moment he realizes he's been spotted. And he, Taraz glances back at you and says, there's not gonna be much negotiation here. I owe you big time. What do you need? I need access to an interceptor. An Orion Interceptor. Our fastest mover. There are some places that my big, beautiful, very Federation ship simply can't go in order to do legitimate Federation business. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I should have guessed you were going to ask for a big favor. I do have an interceptor. I don't know. She's my baby. I understand. (laughs) 
The rest of you understand what your captain's asking for. Kind of looks at the rest of you <laughs> that are there. Oh, assuredly, they're going on legitimate Federation business and would never do anything otherwise. And were they somehow, under any sort of circumstance, to do otherwise, they could absolutely blame it on an Orion captain gone rogue. <clears throat> Her baby will be fine. After all, like you said, we're lucky. I'm assuming you're taking the Interceptor into danger. Is that right? You don't have to tell me where. If we're lucky enough, it won't be dangerous. All right. Why don't you come sit down with me for a minute? And you can hear the servos in his arm just goes, kind of signals you over. <clears throat> he moves over to what looks like this large, charitably would call it a bench that's been made out of cargo containers and a wide open table where people have been placing data pads and you can see creatures from across the spectrum of races here in the alpha and beta quadrants, all working, like doing paperwork, monitoring people who are coming and going. Taraz sits down as people make space for him and he reaches down, you see him pull out literally a spray and he sprays it over the top of his shoulder where the cybernetics meets skin. Sets it down pulls out a data pad and says, I'm going to give you the command codes. Types it into the data pad, hands it over to you. I only have one condition for this favor. Only one? Only one. I'm surprised. You have Not to understand. Ezra, you, you, you need to understand. I'm doing this because I owe you but that Interceptor is my baby. I'm a captain too, you know, Taras. I want you to take Slabaz with you. It's not that I don't trust you. It's just wherever you're going, people might try to take my baby. You want me to go watch after your baby? Yes. And I don't think that's too much to ask, considering the promotion you just got. Promotion means I don't look after babies anymore. I look after whole operation. I don't watch your shuttle. If I'm paying you, you do. Mm. Fine. Fine, let's negotiate. What do you want? Hmm. Better title. Okay, better title. That's easy. Those are words. You want a better title? Fine. I name you High Mucky Muck Trade Lizard God. <laughs> nice to meet you, Lizard God. Hello. More money. Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. How much? Not much. 10%. You want to raise for 10%. Permanently? Fine. But then I always get to ask you to watch my baby. It's a 10% baby watching raise, understood? Fine. But only if you send baby with Starfleet. Give baby to Ferengi. No deal. We're not working with the Ferengi anymore. 
Go to my terms. Fine. Fine. Taraz turns back in you and says, take this Gorn away from me and take care of my baby. The Interceptor's yours. But try to get her back, you know, in the next couple of weeks, if you can. That's the plan. I'll be rendezvousing with my ship out in the Shackleton's expanse when we're done. I'm sure Slabaz would be willing to bring back, unless, of course, the Orion Trade Union has operations out there that would be more convenient for you. Well, not yet, but certainly on the docket. I see. But yes, that would work. You don't mind, do you? Weeks and shuttle by myself, flying back here. No, I would love that. He's become sarcastic. I like it. It suits you, Stavos. As does the title. Lizard God. You're not actually being called Lizard God. All right. Take the command codes. Take it to the shuttlecraft. Use the interceptor. Don't tell me where you're going. I don't want to know. And whoever the hell you are points at the Romulan. Who? Uh, he, he points at the Romulan. Yeah. And then Sol says, who? Yeah. Whoever the hell this is. I want you to know whatever happens, do not piss off Slibaz. Right? Right. Which means I get my baby back. Let's go. We'll have to keep listening to this. Thank you, Taras. Good luck wherever you're headed. And uh, say a few nice words for me if uh, you ever talk to your Federation flag officers. Let them know there's an Orion out there who's um, maybe trying to do something new, something better. I'm glad to see it. Do well for us. Hey, you've set the bar pretty high. I'm very tall. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get out of your way. That works. You, get out of here. I'll turn to him and go, come on, lizard god. <laughs> the heavy thudding of this monstrous Gorn stomping behind you. Sorex leans forward, Captain, and says, is that thing going to fit in the shuttle? In the shuttle? Maybe. In the interceptor, certainly. And... If you call him a thing again, I think he'll show you how well that gun works. So don't. Sorex just gives you this grin, but doesn't reply to that. Hmm. He can grin all he likes. <laughs> he and that Orion over there, everybody's grinning at me. Slabaz <laughs> leads you down a couple of corridors, which is again, just like jammed filled with people. Now you do not have to depart directly from here 
to your destination. But you are going to be given access to the Interceptor. So they can both be returned to the Ross if you see fit. I think we're going to have, based on who we've put on the shuttle, we're going to have to do a quick uh, drop-off and rendezvous because okay. the entire away team is getting on this Interceptor, so then what happens to the shuttle? Like, the yeah, shuttle, you... at least one person has to sh pilot the shuttle back to the Ross, and then we'll just meet in the air and take off. But I don't think there's anything more that needs to get done before we make our way. Yes, so you have the option that of... can all happen off screen. Yes, you, you, but you know you have the option of splitting the party here to take it back to the Ross, or however you wanted to do it. Um, You're gonna have a montage. Yeah. No. <laughs> when you enter the main hangar area, the interceptor looks almost similar to the way the one of the Romulan warships look. That in that it has a long outstretched wings off to the side. It goes straight out. It's easily twice the size of the, the Type 11 shuttle that you all brought here. It's actually more, it's closer to, I would say it's about the same size as the Argo class reconnaissance transport, except for it has a much longer wingspan. And judging from the back impulse engines and the exhaust you can see in it, you, particularly Azri, remember the Orion interceptors, these are fast ships. Not even the Federation has fighter craft ships that, are, that boast the speed of Orion craft. It's yeah. always been a pride and joy of the Orion Syndicate that they have some of, if not the fastest ships in the galaxy. Yep, they are, last I checked, to my endless frustration in my <laughs> earlier career, I assure you. Right. Slippery little bastards. Oh. Lacat, you see this interceptor. Um, it's going to be fun to pilot out of here. Everyone piling into this thing. It is, in fact, large enough to support everybody. Like I said, it is, I guess this would put it as a scale one or two. I believe the Argo class is a scale, I think that's scale two. Uh, I believe the Interceptor's in some kind of book or another. It is. Well. Oh, okay, good to know. Um, all right, so the cat gets to pilot the Interceptor out of here? I was assuming she would be put on shuttle duty back, but... Uh... Prawl, or you can pilot it out of here. Really, it's just, this is going to be just a scene of you guys flying back to the Ross. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so the cat turns to Prawl and says, uh, Rochambeau, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'll flip you for it, for flying Terraz's baby out of here. Or Mm, you got the captain on board safe when we had a cloaked Romulan vessel bearing down on us. I think I owe you this one. Why don't you take it? I will not forget this kindness. Oh. Yeah, you better not. That's a nice looking ship. Do uh, Trill believe in luck? Cardassians sure don't. I think Trill believe in serendipity. Huh. Yeah. Anyway. Get the I captain know. out of here. Yeah. See you on board the Ross. Copy that. Captain, he pivots on his heel and begins to head back towards the shuttlecraft. Um, why don't we do this? This will be a challenge zero roll. This will be a chance to generate some momentum for the game since it is 7.30 and we haven't even had a roll yet, y'all. So why don't you go ahead and make your piloting check? Um, I'll go ahead and roll for the interceptor. Um, and... Remind me, piloting is control command, correct? On. Control oh, con. Con. Great, great, great. 
Uh, oh, I should have asked. What's her name? Taraz's baby. Uh, Slabaz looks at you and goes, Taraz's baby. Taraz's baby. <laughs> I think Lacat says it at the exact same. Yeah, time. the two of you say it as as the realization sinks in of the obnoxiousness of the name. <laughs> but you Ew. see, you you see the look as much as it can be expressed in the eye of a Gorn. You can see it is a feeling shared by both Lacat and Slavaz. My people. Orion's. Yes, got it in one. Mm. All right, Lizard let's go. Um, I get to drive this thing out of here. Um, Difficulty zero. Two successes, my friend. Oh, and you got a success from you got a success from uh, your new baby interceptor. Love it, Taraz's baby. TB is what we're gonna call it. <laughs> Uh, I think our doctor might object. We're just rolling with it, and everyone just needs to get on board right now, literally and figuratively. I will say that TB has not been an issue for many, many decades now, so I would not interject. Well, hopefully TB won't cause us any issues today. And uh, (laughs) Sol settles into the captain's chair, and out of Starfleet uniform and off a Federation vessel, they sit in the chair in a way that is just not very Starfleet. Just a little bit more Orion. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Take us out. Yeah. Look at the handling on the interceptor. It's not the slow, gentle. How do I put this? This interceptor doesn't anticipate what you want the way a Federation shovelcraft does. Oh, interesting. Okay. It seems to wait for you to tell it what to do. It is a refined piece of machinery that only answers to ex- the exactitudes of your piloting. So, so in other words, stick versus uh, like. <laughs> it, let's let's let, I'll put it in other terms. Uh-huh. This would be like if you sat down at a computer and some jackass jumped the mouse sensitivity about 50% on you. <laughs> so the, mom- the moment the ship like takes off and you feel the power of the engines, the, the, like, the, the pilot deck the immediately just kind of the flight deck just dips a little bit as you kind of like, whoa, as you're getting your feel for it. You are piloting a hot rod. It's apparent to you the moment you begin to fiddle with the controls. You also notice that this thing has dual disruptor cannons on it, shuttle scale, but it's got some power to it. Um, There's been some modifications done and you can tell just from the energy that's being generated to the engines in the back, this ship is gonna have some torque. (laughs) It's gonna, this thing's gonna haul ass and it's gonna do it efficiently. That is made apparent because after your piloting check, as you're exiting the atmosphere, as all of you are breaking away from the planet, you notice, (laughs) figuratively speaking, that in your rear view mirror is a Federation shuttlecraft that's not keeping up with you. As you break Atmo, just (laughs) And you see the USS Ross up ahead, barreling towards you, even though it's at station keeping. You just It's gonna look at the window and go, 
<laughs> You're waving to the black void of space. Back to there Troll. <laughs> We're going to beat him. Captain, no. I understand we're on a schedule, but do we have any reason just to do like a quick loop around the Ross? No? Okay. okay. Well, we don't get to leave until we've gotten Commander Prawl on board this. So I suppose if you go that much faster than the Federation shuttle, you might have some time to kill. On the bridge of the USS Ross, Exio, you're handing a data pad back to Yeoman when you see at the helm, Vryn, the antenna on Vryn just immediately stiffen and he leans up in his chair and on the view screen, you see an Orion interceptor just. They're back. Is that the ship? Is that, do I get to fly that? He swivels around, he says, do I get to fly that commander? Is that the ship that I get to fly? I'm not entirely sure what the captain has in mind yet. And, uh, channel? Uh, can they okay. connect Bren? I think <laughs> you, you wanna... need to answer that call, Bren. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Reaches down, types it up. Um, you open the hailing frequency, channel connects to the bridge of the USS Ross. Great, I just, uh, the cat just wants to let Bren know that, um, uh, Lieutenant Bren, uh, no, I will be the only one flying this, uh, Taraz's baby, thank you. And she would like to hang up. <laughs> That's it. Was that a prank call? Yeah, I think it was. Did, did she say Taraz's baby? Yeah, do do Orion males, do they, do they, can they Stop do that? Stop thinking right now. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. Captain the Ross has been updated about our situation. Uh, <laughs> Lacat, <laughs> like uh, let's uh, know uh, that you know she has uh, hailed the Ross and let them know they're coming. Maybe this not. The bridge is much smaller than the Ross. Lacat, I can hear you. Lacat, <laughs> they're straight ahead and enjoys the consoles. <laughs> so we'll cut to the shuttle bay as this interceptor moves in and is gently set down by the tractor beam, followed almost a full two minutes later by the Federation shuttlecraft docking as well. The Type 11 just moves across as the tractor beam gently slides it over to the other side of the open vacancy in the shuttle bay and sets it down gently. Um, as the shuttle bay doors begin to close and the alarm is chiming out, now keep in mind shuttle bay one, of course, is one of the largest spaces on board the Ross. This place is like a convention center filled with personnel that are constantly moving, cargo containers that are being inventoried all the time, uh, ship supplies, you name it. Also, all of the small craft that can fit in here. The Orion Interceptor is currently taking up a lot of space. And so you see immediately as it is set down the control crews are using tractor beams to lift other shuttlecraft and put them into the storage, which are these large hangar-like shelved units on the side of the shuttle bay itself. One of the features of having expansive shuttle bays, allowing you guys to actually accommodate for a ship of this scale. It takes about 10 minutes, which in all things considered, impressive for the crew of the USS Ross to adequately and efficiently get that done. I'll say that too, uh, Tech was there um, with his engineering crew. Okay, coordinating that. 
coordinating all of this, so it's just a flood of yellow shirts that were in there. And um, what's noticeable that's sort of outside of procedure is that there are a lot of engineering tricorders out. As uh, we know that there's a limited time, but as soon as the the ship touches down, we're immediately scanning to make our like any sort of technological advances in our speed. And the whole team is on it as soon as we're. Yeah, no problem. We got it. <laughs> I love um, <laughs> one of the first things you detect is there is a Gorn on board that ship, and oh. it is huge. Mm. Um, <laughs> guessing from the scan that comes back, this Gorn probably stands a few heads taller than the captain and probably weighs to close to about, well, close to about 500 pounds. Of raw. Oh no, muscle. do tricorders say what you weigh? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, tricorders will tell you your blood type and everything. Oh, man. Dun, dun, dun. Lizard god, I think this thing is broken. <laughs> Designation, lizard god. Yeah. Um, the shuttle door is open and because of all the hubbubaloo of trying to maneuver things around the shuttlecraft area, you all have to sit in the shuttle for a few minutes as things are moved about to secure space for the interceptor until it was finally let down. Which means that by technicality, Lieutenant Commander Prawl arrived first. <laughs> As his shuttlecraft touches down and he exits the shuttlecraft and he waits for you. <laughs> As it slowly, finally lowers to the deck. <laughs> and <laughs> the door opens. He's standing at the end of the ramp. If we had money, I would slip five dollars to start next. <laughs> like lost that bit. <laughs> Actually, that is a good point. Uh, I should specify one of the things that we are going to have on us is a little bit of latinum because mm -hmm. I think a, a ship tends to have a certain amount of of stash for dealing yes. with mm -hmm. non Federation people. Absolutely. Uh, the captain has taken this opportunity uh, to allocate that to the away team. Petty okay. cash. Yeah. Uh, yes. Petty officer cash. The Federation absolutely it. accommodates for that. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so is Exio in the shuttle bay for uh, last goodbyes? And I mean, Flip. who all is? <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, just for a moment, picking up our, uh, well, our prowls and of getting course. out of here. Are you all ready to head out to Jashashia? Yes, I believe Tech has been quite excited. I mean, right now he seems to be excited about the aft of Taraz's baby. Dead aft, though. <laughs> so that was true. I, it was quite an unorthodox message from Lieutenant, but. You see a familiar Gorn move down the ramp at that point, Exio, just. <laughs> And stops and looks at you and goes, <sighs> comes over and bends down and these trunk-like arms wrap around you, Exio. Oh. And just lifts you up off the ground. Oh. <laughs> oh, the grim lady. <laughs> Good to see you. Puts you back down and says, oh. you helped save everyone. I'm sure she is surprisingly light to lift. You all are light to lift. Hmm. Mine's literally light, so. Hmm. 
New name. Oh, oh, yes. What should I call you? Slibaz. Ah, good name. Dad's name. Strong. I like it. Me too. Business owner now. Ooh. What business? Trade. Suits you. Still have the gun? He pulls this cloth off of the back. It looked like sort of a misshapen large backpack. Like maybe he's carrying survival gear? No. They're barrels that are peeking up over his head, like this giant metal tent pole of death. He just kind of pulls it down and looks at it. A few of the ensigns pause in their work and stare. And Chief Tech, this is the first time you've gotten a glimpse at what looks like a modified minigun capable of shooting disruptor rounds. So it is an artillery piece. It does not belong on the back of any bipedal creature. We're um, sort of doing our, our detail and making sure everything is going off. And then this scene is happening. Maybe <laughs> Sing is next to the gun and Tech just sort of motions to like, scan it, scan the gun, scan it. And Sing, <laughs> however he wants to react. Sing scans the gun, just... And he moves away from you and walks over to it and says, it's a modified disruptor cannon of some kind capable of shooting multiple disruptor bolts in the round. I think it's designed for anti-vehicle warfare. And he's just carrying it around like anything, huh? It weighs more than you and I put together. Well, that's nice. Okay. 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 And we'll continue scanning this. And he goes back to scanning with you. <laughs> um, I, I don't suppose... The ambassador might have come to see us off. We, if you want to be in the scene, Aki, we can say that on cue, the door opens and the ambassador enters because you did know they were coming back. Yeah, I think uh, they'll stay. Okay. Of course, the doors to Cargo Bay 1 are also very large, so they just slide open as you see almost in like with that opening of the single person coming in in no in like the ambassador regalia that's a very noble entrance as they make their way into this large open space speak of the dalton <laughs> <laughs> and they shall appear hello captain glad you made it back safely just for a moment before we're off this is our very quick goodbye and then we take our very quick departure look at you're warming her up Cat's in the <laughs> interceptor. Okay, the cat's enjoying their time in this uh, Orion hot rod machine. Good. Absolutely, she's making herself at home. But also, like to be real, like uh, I think that piloting is not like her first love, and it's not sure. even like her second love. But I think that whatever like cat like does, she like wants to like do it right to some mm -hmm. degree especially when she needs to like win brownie points against Ren. So um, she it, like is familiarizing herself with the space as well, I would say. Okay. Vren, of course, is still up on the bridge and probably beating his head against the helm console. <laughs> uh, can you send selfies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Definitely Are you kidding? Selfies. Pops up on the on the work in the yeah okay so on his personal data pad which is laying off to the left side of the workstation of the helm he does see like 
like cat doing a eh, kind of like right next to this Orion interceptor up on the bridge at the helm station there's an Andorian making this noise oh. mm. why do you insist on torturing him like cat <laughs> this is how the cat shows love <laughs> I can feel him all the way down here <laughs> so upset <laughs> Why do you do this to him? <laughs> All right. Well, we're on our way out. Axio, the ship's going to be yours for a good while. You'll have full command and my full authority, and blame me if anything goes wrong anyway. Mm. I can take it. All the power, none of the responsibility. I expect grave misuse by the time I return, but moreover, you two get to the Joshashians. Please convince them to give us access to their subspace tech and as quickly as possible so that Lenatus might be able to get something together in time see find this specter before they make their move i'll do my best and more captain then the ross is in very good hands indeed oh, let's see this again for a little while <laughs> take care blitz good luck captain good luck acting captain Okay. Um, real quick, I have to ask, technically, this request would generate one threat, but Prawl is requesting permission to bring a, to keep on board the shuttle, a standard Federation phaser rifle. Mm. Uh, I think, Eric, you should take the threat, but... I have a feeling, and uh, that when we kick that panel over there, you'll find the rifle you need. Because oh. I know Taraz has guns stashed in weird places. And you have a you have a Gorn with a Gatling gun, but those are NPCs added in, and I'm not going to penalize the players for that. So this would be the Federation kind of raising the stakes a little bit by bringing along a Federation's. And phase. I think for the purposes of currency, uh, yes, please absolutely take it. And for the purpose of flavor, it's just don't even worry, Prawl. We both know Taraz has weapons stashed on here already. Yeah, you see him say that with sort of like this disdain. And he hefts up and feels the grip of this new standard issue Federation phaser rifle. Remembering, of course, that in the war, Prawl was a sharpshooter. And he kind of aims, fits it into the shoulder and looks down the sights and holds it up and then nods to you. Right. Steps up into the shuttlecraft, along with some duffel bags and supplies that are being brought with y'all. Changes of clothes, everything that you've set aside for this mission. A quick question. What is Prawl's uh, civilian clothes look like? What is he wearing? He's not in them just yet. Nobody's actually changed into their civilian wear. Everyone's still in officer uniform at the moment. 
Um, I think I'll probably specify that I'm not because I think I said a moment ago I'm not. Uh, so I think... You changed into civilian wear between when you uh, left the planet and when you got on the into the shuttle bay? No, I already said that I had changed. Oh, okay. Uh, so when I settled into the chair, part. I was out of uniform. I was gotcha, off gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, um, so we'll get to that later. But yeah. uh, I'll finish saying my goodbyes to the ambassador and, of course, to the ambassador. The rather <laughs> smaller, hairier one. Right. The fuzzy ambassador, the quadrupedal ambassador. All right. One by one. The, the tilt of, I don't understand what's going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> Take care and uh, give the frisbees a good toss for me. You better come back quickly and you better come back safely. Please. I will. Trust me. And to the extent that you can feel emotions off Sol, because on an Orion, that's really staticky. But to the extent that you get a signal, utmost sincerity from Sol. And uh, they're, they're, it's that kind of day. I think they'll slip an arm around uh, Mojinil and just. I don't know if uh, Olin knows exactly how to respond to that, but mm -hmm. they, I think they kind of just. As you kind of get the hug, as you're on the captain's shoulder, kind of like, oh, wow. Um, and hugging the captain, you glance to see that the Gorn is staring at patients from about 30 feet away. Just staring. <laughs> These large yellow reptilian eyes just gazing down at the dog. <laughs> what am I getting off the Gorn? Curiosity. Hungry. Not hunger. <laughs> Not hunger. Wonderment. It seems that this might be the first time this Gorn's been on a Federation starship and is staring at this dog like, what is that? I think that when uh, Azri lets uh, Olin go, uh, Olin just does a little gesture with her hand and Patience does a quick trick. Um, the Gorn's head, this Tyrannosaurus-like gator head, just kind of slowly tilting to the side as you see the membrane isolate blink just kind of looking at patients like what the <laughs> good girl now you're actually getting a sense of discomfort <laughs> and you see the Gorn just go <clears throat> and move back onto the shuttlecraft like he's nervous <laughs> walks back up the ramp onto the interceptor uh, we save it that way. <laughs> real quick, watching the captain like say these sweet goodbyes to Exio and and the ambassador, I'm gonna feel like I should do something of that sort too. So I go up to Chief Tech and just kind of pat him, like look up at him and pat him on the arm and be like, "Do good uh, things while we are away and get that." Basically, I don't know what his mission is, but I'm like trying to do goodbyes too and it's awkward because the last the yeah. last conversation Chief Tech and I had was already awkward so I'm like trying to like bridge yeah, the gap okay so I'm just gonna <laughs> be like you'll do um, everything that you need to do and you will get that technology and help us with um 
Good job, Chief Tech, and we will be back. <laughs> and Bam! He's he gonna keep patting you. Thank you, Doctor. And he just turns away. And please, please don't get injured. He doesn't say anything. He continues to scan. We do uh, not have normality. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's a, it's a heavy silence that falls as you you speak to him as he's walking away. He does not reply to you. As everyone loads up under the shuttlecraft at that point, duffel bags being dropped and whatnot, Sorex takes stock of you, Macrell. And he, as everyone's moving into the interceptor, he just says, trouble. Trouble. Yes, your bullying doesn't seem very fond of you anymore. Hmm. I don't think he was ever fond of me, Sorax, but... Um, let's just say our communication is like um, rubbing against the fur. It's an acquired taste, and maybe one day he will. Come I've already me. arrived at the destination of your sentence. But Thank it's you. Fascinating Thank listening you. you get there. Yes, I'm not the best with words. I'm more of a doctor. I've once actually. again arrived at the Thank you, yes. I will. And I'm just going to sit quietly and reflect. He um, leans over to you, McCrell, and he just says, you know, not to unsettle you, but part of my training is being able to read people and know exactly what their weaknesses are, understand what they value, and who they value. You're wrong about him. He always liked you. I worked very closely with his brother, so it's a... His like for me might be... Brother's dead? Yes. Were you there when it happened? In a way, yes. I understand. He'll get over it. He leans back in the chair. <laughs> Whether he gets over it or not is not the important matter. What matters is if he follows his own path in a better way. It's a speech I remember. Yes, I tend to recycle them. And without you, I doubt I would have remembered it. Well, sometimes my, how did you say, my bedside manner is not. You get the impression he's not listening to you anymore because his eyes suddenly raise as you're talking to him as a uh, gorn is standing above the both of you. Ah. Uh, Slyboss. He is a honorary member of our crew at the moment and in a very important part of this mission, so you will treat him with the respect that he deserves. Always treat Romulan with respect. 
Good. Romulans are fragile, cunning. Romulans kill the corn. Worthy of respect. For the record, if it means anything to you, Gorn, I have not killed any of your kind. Known to many Romulans to believe that. This heavy thudding as Slabaz moves towards the back and Sorek says, Smart Gorn. He is very wise, yes. Shall we? He leans back into his chair as everyone is getting situated. Um, on the de- on the deck of the shuttle. Yeah, what's up, Lacat? One one point of flavoring. I think that the only like goodbye that Lacat has really said is um, she's had one of her ensigns run up a small plant that looks kind of like a Venus flytrap, and she's put it on the dashboard. Okay. Yeah. Is this a plant that was given to you by a certain yeoman? Oh my God. You don't, you don't, that's so presumptuous. Just ask. Uh, 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 yes. Um, next question. Okay, the next question is, um, all right, so the shuttle bay, the doors to this interceptor close as the alarms begin to chime once again. You see the doors begin to slide open just as the multi-tiered tractor beams lock on to the interceptor. <laughs> and begin to guide this great craft up off of the glossy ground of this shuttle bay. You all watch as this interceptor begins to swivel around open so it can point towards open space and is gently pushed out into the vacuum. Uh, Everybody on board has stopped what they're doing to watch as the captain is leaving on this secret mission of some kind. A few of the ox crew just whispering to each other. Chief Singh leans forward and says, I hope the captain stays out of trouble. They never do. They never do. Mm. They never do. Mm. Exio, you watch as this ship begins to power up its engines. And a testament to the sheer power of that impulse engine, you just see go... (laughs) As it accelerates to full impulse, gaining enough distance from the Ross before it starts plotting its course to jump into warp. I uh, give it one last head nod to nothing anymore. And um, I walk up to the ambassador and I just say, um, would you like to walk with me back up to the bridge? Of course. Just one quick thing, though, uh, if you'll yes. give me just a moment. And Olin walks over to Tech and goes, so it's been a while since you and I have spent any time together. I was wondering if you might be available for dinner tonight. Sure. Yeah, I could fit it in. Great. I had a recipe I'd been wanting to try, and I thought perhaps you might enjoy. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> the ambassador using the skills. <laughs> Suddenly, Tech's mood shifts dramatically. Yeah, you can feel it. <laughs> Light switch. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then I, I rejoin Exio and uh, walk up with her to the bridge. Okay. All right. Olin, and- did you know that when I met Slibaz, he I was informed that he hated holograms. And today, 
He picked me up in a hug and gave me respect. I know that you might understand this, but it still fascinates me every day, beings' abilities to change. I think uh, one thing you might quickly discover about you, Exio, is that you have an incredible capacity to change people's hearts just on the virtue of being you. And therein lies your talent, Olin. The turbo lift doors close behind the two of you. <laughs> As you proceed up to the bridge, we are going to go on our 10-minute break. When we come back, we're jumping into whatever's about to happen. The USS Ross is headed to the Shackleton Expanse once again. And the captain, with a small squad of well-trained Starfleet officers, a former Tal Shiar assassin, and a really big lizard god, are all headed to an old planet with a bad reputation in the middle of the Romulan neutral zone. We'll be back. Just saying that Chandler was not the funniest of the friends. He wasn't. He was good, but not enough is not enough credit is given to Ross. Not enough. Mm. No, no. Watch the episode where they get drunk oh, in Vegas and he and he falls. Okay, when I know nothing drunk. about this topic, but there's only one valid Ross. <laughs> and let's never, ever, ever overwrite Phoebe. This episode Phoebe's amazing. Phoebe's watch, Lisa Kudrow, watch Lisa Kudrow's uh, awards acceptance speeches are the best. Anyway, um, okay, so let's go ahead and jump back into uh, tonight's game. Um, before we jump back into the game, though, I want to ask if we want to. Do you guys? First of all, I should ask: Do we want to play out the scene where you have dinner with Tech? Or do no. you want to just tell me what Tech had for dinner? We can. I think I think that we have enough going on in this episode that uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to say just... that. Yeah, I want to say that uh, Olin, after reading through Captain Cisco's files and kind of like doing work, <laughs> makes chicken paprikash for Tech. Oh Perfect. yeah, get some get some Louisiana style cooking. Oh, chicken paprikash is an Ukrainian dish. No, but 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 if you got. A hold here, of here. Cisco's, yeah. If you've got a hold of Cisco's, you probably have some Cajun recipe in there. God's recipe or something. Yeah, I mean yeah, there are yeah, definitely yeah. some Cajun stuff in there, but I think that they are intrigued by the the fact that this Louisiana, like Louisiana uh, born, New Orleans raised uh, captain, has a favorite dish that's Hungarian. Yeah. And so they make that. Yeah. For, uh, for right for on. Okay. All right. This part of the episode, we will say there has been a time elapse as the USS Ross has been traveling now for days as it's headed back to the Shackleton Expanse. When Lieutenant Vryn announces that you have crossed um, out of Federation space and into Klingon territory, and then once again out of Klingon territory and back into Federation space, it's almost like when you were a child and you kept asking your parents, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they finally tell you, we're only 15 minutes away. And you were like, oh, they're like, you're so much closer to Narendra Station. When you enter the sector, um, your waypoint, a quick stop at Narendra Station, 
uh, before you head out to Shackleton Expanse, as Admiral April Ebert has requested a uh, update on the status report of the uh, status of the USS Ross. She is not requesting the Ross dock, and she's not requesting the the Ross interrupt operations. But since you are moving through the sector to head back to the Jashians, she does reach out to the Ross as you were flying by its sector. You get notification from the tactical officer, which, by the way, since uh, Prawl is off <laughs> gallivanting around the galaxy with the captain, your uh, tactical officer is one Lieutenant Roe Gers. I was gonna ask, I was like, I have uh, Lieutenant Rogers uh, written down as like mm -hmm. Prawl's number one uh, recommend. Yep. So. yep, yep, yep. Wonderful. So uh, yeah, so the Lieutenant immediately informs you that there is an incoming hailing frequency from Admiral April Hebert. Put it on screen. And just to uh, clarify, Peck is gonna be on the bridge at the engineering station for the duration. So he'll actually be the one putting it up. Oh, okay, great. Perfect. Um, Thank you, Chief. Okay, popping up on screen, you see the face of the Admiral, who has sort of a quizzical brow as she spots you in the center chair. And she says, Commander? Admiral? I was expecting an update from Commander, or uh, from Captain e Azari Sol. I understand that you are all in the middle of operations right now, and from my clocks, you are not due back at Narendra Station for a while still. But That's I thought I might check in and see how things are. Things are wonderful. We have several missions underway. And the status of the Ross is fully operational? That is correct. And should I assume that the captain is taking some much needed downtime? We are on vacation, Admiral. That does not slip past her. She looks at you for a long moment, Exio, and she says, Carry on. Narendra out. Vren at the station just goes, <laughs> What did I tell you about thinking today, Vren? I wish I could stop, Commander. I really, really, really do. I really do. You're very lucky that I don't actually exercise my telepathic abilities because your thoughts are very loud right now, Vren. That's standard, Ambassador, but yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. Making your way through the sector, it's a few days travel when the USS Ross is nearing the Jashashian homeworld. Now, if you all remember correctly, the Jashashian homeworld is a good distance away from the Narendra, from Narendra Station, but not so far as that it's not inaccessible. However, as you get closer, your security officer at Tactical, Lieutenant Roe Gers, glances up suddenly and says, Captain? Commander. Yes, Lieutenant? I'm detecting what seems to be a, a faint signal of some kind. Chief, are you getting this as well? 
And they glance over at you, Chief Tech, at the engineering station. What sort of signal? Um, Please be more specific. I'm, I'm not sure if... I, it looks like a transmission, like an audio transmission of some kind. Go ahead and make a, a roll, Chief. Mm-hmm. And whoever wants to roll for the Ross, this is going to be uh, a straight-up sensors check, just like a science roll. Um, just, but, uh, just so you're aware, we only have two momentum left because we lost one when scene changed. That's right. Thank you for keeping track of that. Sensor science or sensor con? This would be sensor con. Would I be able to use control con instead of control science? Yes. Okay. I'll let you use control con on this. Uh, difficulty of this is three. Oh, wow. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you take a momentum for an extra die? I don't know if I can because I have cautious engineering. Uh, so, you can still take the extra die. Cautious is just what allows you to re-roll re if you do spend a money, uh, right. a momentum taking a die. Got it. I will do that. Okay. So we'll be down to one. Cool. Oh, well, two successes. Did we get one to the Ross? Got it. We did indeed. Tell okay. me what we're looking at, Chief. Chief, what you look at and what you notice that the security officer has picked up is a faint signal coming through audio. It looks like a little more primitive than the wavelength transmissions that the Federation uses for long-range communication. Does it look it, Dishantian in nature? Yes. Mm. You definitely recognize it. Yes. It looks like we're picking up on their subspace transmissions. Good for them. And a beat later, you start hearing the Universal Translator making out some of the verbals for, uh, through the static. And you hesitate for a moment, Chief, to make sure you're hearing this correctly, mm. but you're pretty much hearing an SOS. Uh-oh. Oh, no. You're pretty much hearing a distress call from what sounds like the science station, the science lab. Commander, we've got trouble. It looks like they're sending a distress signal from down on the planet. No, from the science station. Oh, from the science station. The I one mean, that was studying the oh. particle fountain. I, I was like, how on earth did they get a message this far out? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. incredible, but that's... Was the science station that we moved away from the particle fountain? Yes. It's their okay, only they, deep space oh, where did that? Where did that get left? It got left got by the left particle fountain, but it's no longer in danger of being drawn in and destroyed by the particle fountain. Understood. I thought we moved it quite far away. You did. Um, you re you basically restored its original position. Did how, they how, Yeah, how close are Vryn we to them? Does a quick calculation and says, at current speed, we'll arrive in six hours, 14 minutes. Okay. Um, is it just me or is this? Then we might need to go a bit faster. Plotting an intercept count? Should I plot an intercept course, Commander? What do you think, Olin? You two have something? I was just going to say, is it just me, or does this science station have the worst luck? It tends to. This could, I can't help but say, but this could also be a trap. We're on the, we're on the, we're, we're being hunted by very clever people, and they tend to lay traps like this and put innocent people in danger like this. So we just wanted to point that out. Okay. If you get me close enough, I might be able to figure out what's going on. 
Already juicing up the engines, Cap uh, Commander. Plan to intercept and um, up the warp a bit and be ready to go to yellow alert. Setting intercepts course and increasing speed. I, Vryn, immediately all business. You hear the chirping on the console and you all can feel the Roth engines as the warp speed gets increased. I'm not going to subtract any from jumping to warp because you guys have been at warp for a while. I'm going to ask since you have gained warp speed, um, I'm going to take you all to warp seven now. So we'll say that you're reached a maximum warp before authorization is required to go faster. Um, so go ahead and subtract one point of power. We got it. Um, and now you're going to be there in no time. Vryn has calculated that you'll be there momentarily in the next, few, in like the next hour and a half. Um, okay. Cutting to the moment of arrival. Vryn announces that you are now arriving in the sector with the, where the science station, the particle fountain, still popping up on sensors, and the Ross coming out of warp. Running a quick scan. Who is your science officer, by the way? Your science officer is Lieutenant G, Lieutenant Junior Grade Talon, or Talon. Sitting at the science station, I actually have all of the character sheets because our mods are amazing. Um, okay. Okay. Stand by. Here we go. And it. Sweet. Okay. What? Coming out of the system. Um, Captain. Running, running a sensors. Running a, running a sensor sweep. Uh, the lieutenant, the Benzite lieutenant, who's currently sitting in the place of where Ravity was, runs a quick sensor scan. That's going to be Reason Science. That's a total of 14. And the Ross is going to roll standard sensors science roll. Um, I'm going to set the difficulty for this at one, so this is a good opportunity to generate some momentum. I'm going to switch to blue dice here. Oh! Okay, that's fine. It's 14, so one. So what did you, what did the Ross get? Who rolled for Ross? Tenant junior grade Talon, is that a good O? The Benzite says, scanning, gain one momentum. Um, Commander, the Benzite looks back at you and says, Commander, I'm detecting the science station up ahead. It's still in the same position that the Ross left it a safe distance away from the very active particle fountain. However, I am detecting energy signatures. It looks like the station's been damaged. There are life forms still aboard the station, though I'm not getting a solid reading on how many. Let's proceed with caution. Um, can we see where the damage is on the ship? Or the station, rather. At this range, I can't get a precise reading. However, it does look like there may have been weapons fire, Commander. Sensors are detecting energy readings. Consistent with the Benzite pauses in swivels and says, consistent with Romulan plasma torpedo fire, Commander. Go to yellow alert. Yellow alert. The chime immediately blaring on the ship, Ox crew reacting as the yellow alert status uh, activates. Defense shields, everything comes live. 
Vryn says, we're ten minutes away, Commander. Increasing speed. Just as before, this is a possible rescue mission and a safety threat. It's the same as before. We don't know what we're walking into. Either way, we're going to try to save whoever's on board. As you all move to range, your security officer from behind, you hear just say, we're coming into visual range now, Commander. On screen. You see, coming up on the view screen is the Jashashian station. It's strange seeing it again. It's in the, uh, by judging from the naked eye, it looks like it's in the same condition as which you left it. But as the Ross is moving closer, it is of course doing that mild spin as a station creating its own artificial gravity. You can see that on one of the edges of the station itself, what looks like on one of the outer hulls, there's still a glowing scorch mark and what looks like debris spinning around in space. The damage on the hull is visible, but it doesn't look heavy. It looks like Exio, actually Exio, I would have you roll. Hmm, let me let me see what I would have because this is sort of like a tactical assessment of what you're looking at. Uh, I would have. Yeah, you I want to know. Yeah. I would have you roll insight command on this. Okay. Uh, take a momentum, Gina. Oh, you know what? Uh, you know what though? Vryn is going to assist. Are you changing it? Oh. No, no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna give Vryn an assist on this, along with the Ross. So the, oh no, he's not, this is eyeballing it. So never mind. the Ross isn't rolling here. But Vryn knows his ships and he knows what, hit, what ships fire. He can, he actually has a talent that allows him to identify ships and whatnot just by eyeballing it. So let me, where the hell are you, Vryn? Oh, here we go. Who's firing the thing? Oh my God. Okay. Hopefully oh, he's at his okay. station. His so, body is in the chair. His mind is on that interceptor. I see. Inside mm. inside con. Okay, fourteen. Okay, it's not going to come into play. Doesn't matter. He's going to assist anyway. He knows ships. <laughs> um, all right. So I'm going to set the difficulty for this at uh, let's say two. Friend crits. I rolled a one. Assists are supposed to go after the main roll. Sure. Damn it, Vren. What the hell's wrong with you? You're playing me! <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. Friend? Jumping the gun? How out of character. <laughs> well, I, I didn't call for a focus. I don't have a focus. And, mm -hmm. and unless you let me do a command focus, since I'm doing an insight command, but... What command focus? Because this is literally just trying to ascertain the tactical nature of the situation. Literally just my command.exe. Oh, uh, possibly. Um, what? How many successes did you roll? <laughs> they just could be crits. They just could be crits. Oh, I see. So I, I'm um, asking beforehand before... Command.exe, you know, yeah, because I set the difficulty at two specifically because this would not be that difficult to ascertain from looking at it based on okay. what you know. So I, I would I would allow a command.exe to apply to this. 
Thank you. I'll, I'll yeah. flavor justify it as I, I gave, uh, I've been giving Paul a hard time about tactics, and so I've been studying the deal <laughs> so that I'm not just talking sure. and talk. And been had to protect Captain many times without his help, so yeah, studied a little bit. Um, okay. So I was I crit twice and got a nineteen. So that's okay. That's not a that's not a. I didn't I didn't increase yeah, the complication range. No, you're fine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes, well then I got four. Great, the Ross doesn't explode. You're fine. Um, so four four successes. Vryn uh, got a crit. So that's five six total. The difficulty was two. World two twos. Nice. We have five momentum. No, okay. Because we had one left. Exio, looking at the screen, here's what you know. If this was what you think it was, the damage is so slight that it looks like it, it would have had to have been a malfunction or a deliberate miss. Because it looks like the hull was not directly hit. It looks like someone grazed it. Like someone deliberately skinned it. Yeah, like, can I have the area of what they were shooting at? Like, is it even anything important? Like, uh, the the is it any part of the ship that would intentionally, tactically be where you'd shoot at to cause damage? Go ahead and spin momentum. I would say that's something that Exio can work out on her own by using an obtain information check with momentum. Sure. Um, sure. Exio, you stare at it for a long moment, and then you you move up just sort of like following your idea you walk around this back behind the captain's chair up the ramp and look joining the security officer you stand next to them and glance out the tactical station looking at the scans of what's coming back the answer is no wherever that hit it was not a critically important area indeed it wasn't an area where there was anybody stationed it looks like it was one of the power junction fields at the very back of the station enough to cause damage and be a threat but no one was judging from what it looks like at this close of range of a scan no one's been injured can there Olin are power sense. fluctuations all throughout the station right now can Olin sense any overriding emotion coming from this the space station from this yes space? you sense anxiety and desperation you also sense some shock and relief it seems like there might be some people on board or who are aware the USS Ross just arrived. I think they're and... aware of the Calvary's here, Commander. Then let's hope we put fear in the hearts of someone. Certainly not the discussion. I... No, I hope you're feeling a little bit of something from that. Uh, uh, Eric, can I just have a quick refresher on what is, what what do we know about the... I did not realize the Jashashians planned on coming back to the ship. I, I wasn't aware that it was in that well of working condition to return this quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it's true? Been, it's been... Yeah, it's been quite a while since you guys have returned to this area of space. Sure. That's kind of what I was like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, how long has it been for them to have rebuilt not sure. and repopulated this station? You're not sure how long it took them to, you know to reestablish the mission. Yeah. You, you do know that Jashashians, even though they're pre-warp, or rather they're, they're actually, I'm sorry, they're a post-warp society. They can achieve warp one. Yeah. Um, you do know that they have the capability of reaching the station in no time. Their technological capabilities are pretty much on par with, uh, with like 
Star Trek original series kind of technology. So they are actually quite advanced. It's conceivable that they moved back out here and were able to restart the entire scientific mission profile of the station. How long it would have taken them, it's hard to say. And how uh, how many people are um, outfitted to, to be stationed here? What What's the kind of number of, of beings that should be on that ship? You know, I mean, based on the fact that you all have enough information from your last visit to Yeah, Jaren, from the last time. You know for a fact that the Dishashians have a full complement based on the life form readings that you're now getting at this range. So it looks like everybody who could be on board is on board and everyone is alive. Right. Do they have... I know they have a different um, sort of way to, to hail, but we are quite close. You could, you could do audio. Like to, yeah. Yeah. I'll open can, up yes. Panel. Can we establish a connection to the station? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It takes. Uh, why don't we say? Why don't we make this a roll to generate some more momentum, if you like? Sure. Um, okay. This is interacting with alien technology. You're basically doing a screen to screen like visual is totally possible at this stage. Um, so why don't we make this a control engineering check Got at it. your station? I think and the Ross? Ross. The Ross would use computers. I think the Ross is going to use computers engineering as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'll set the difficulty for this at two. Okay. I'll take a momentum for an extra time. Do die. it. Do it, do it now. Three. Momentum here. Okay, three. And what did you What did you get, Ross? Uh, two successes. Nice. One, three successes. It takes yeah. a moment. It takes a moment. You see some static come up on the main view screen. But then you see it start to sort of <laughs> tracking as yeah. you kind of like even it out. Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm a kid from the 80s. So you see it kind of like even out and finally the screen clears up a little bit and you see the very familiar face of Dr. Yugos looking at you from the view screen. Um, he looks like he's in his high collared uh, science officer's uniform. Uh, Judging from the look on his face, of course, he has those beautiful black glossy onyx platelets that kind of outline the corners and edges of his face. You also see the dark tint of orange, dark blood caked onto the top, like right side of his head. Like he's bumped his head pretty hard. But when he sees the view screen and you appear, he just goes, oh, I don't know how you got here, Commander Exio, but it's good to see you. It seems just in time. Tell me what happened. We were attacked. We didn't have any warning. We weren't challenged. It wasn't the Gorn. We, we don't know who it was. They literally came out of nowhere. We had just a moment. We started to hail, and then we were hit. Do you remember seeing a ship? We have visual record. Wonderful. Uh, uh, how I'll, long I'll ago was this? Two hours. Uh, let me... Two hours was the last time we saw them. The first round that they came through here was about 12 and a half hours ago. I'll go ahead and transfer you. The attack didn't come until recently. The first round, about six and a half hours ago. Uh, this ship has been appearing and disappearing at will. Uh, there it is, can you see? And you see coming up on the screen, you see this the, the, the quality, of course, is Jashashian, so you, you do see like the high-def quality style, but it is staticky. You see the distortion in space as this modified 
Tavaro-class Romulan warbird appears and a large orange yellowed ball of pure plasma begin to fly towards the view screen. And at the last moment, it looks like the detonation device of this giant ball of energy skims right past the station and shears the area where you are seeing off. As you watch this ball go, you see the picture distort suddenly as the energy, as this plasma ball of energy explodes. And as it explodes, you catch a brief glimpse, a nanosecond's worth of everything in the field of vision lighting up like space was ignited into fire and then static. Um. We're going to help. Um. I will contact you again soon with an with a retrieval plan. Oh, you think they'll come back? It's possible they're still here. I'll get my teams ready. As fast as you can. Damn Don't it. panic. It's okay. We're gonna get Just, through this. Uh, yeah. Seems like ever since we achieved warp flight, the galaxy's had something against us. You just haven't gotten to meet everyone yet. Particle station out. Okay, uh, Lieutenant, uh, is it Gruce? Gers? Are you talking to the security officer? Yes. Mm-hmm. Gers? That's, Lieutenant Roe Ro Gers? Yeah, G-E-R-Z. Okay. Uh, Lieutenant, Chief, ready room, now. Got it. The the bullion nods and follows the other bullion as they join side by side and follow you into the ready room. Olin, please come. Oh, of course, uh, Commander. All right. Moments later, you're in Captain's ready room. Shut. Yes. Okay. So obviously, yes, this is a trap. It's possible this is the warbird. My assumption is they couldn't find us, so they went to hurt someone they knew we would go find. Or they're even this is that. to our plan and know exactly what we are looking for. Why would it's very they- possible, though, they would probably try to remove that information by murdering everyone on board. Lieutenant, do you have any insight? Oh. You see, Gers looks at the chief for a moment, then back at you and just says, yes, Commander, I, why wouldn't they have just destroyed the station? They're, They're trying bait. to get our attention. My guess is the moment we drop shields to beam them, they would attack. The shuttle to go and retrieve them, they're going to attack. Anything that puts us in danger to rescue the people on that station immediately makes us vulnerable. What if we do what we did last time? We don't need to move the people on the station. We can move the station. Captain, you the hear station. on the chirping overhead. Captain, oh, damn, sorry, Commander. Yes. Um, I'm gonna need you on the bridge, sir. 
Okay. As you leave the ready room, everyone filtering out beside beside you, Exio, it's almost like a slow motion moment where you're walking out, glancing to your left, because on the view screen, you see Mindak. You see behind him is what looks like the pulsing energy of the Romulan warbird that he is on board. He is wearing the high collared Imperial Naval uh, uniform of the modern Romulan Star Empire Navy. And he has all the decorations of an admiral. What is his rank, admiral? He is an admiral, yes. <clears throat> you step admiral out under the bridge. Mendek. Yeah, the two of you looking face to face. Commander Exio. Well, I think we both know the tactical situation here. We do. Then I expect Sorex to be handed over to me immediately. There is no Sorex aboard the USS Ross. Come, come now, Commander. Do you really think Romulan intelligence is that blind? I want to walk as close to whatever there is a camera. Yeah, you basically do the Jean-Luc Picard, you walk right up to the screen. And say, I trust your intelligence to be able to read my face and know that I am telling the truth. There is no Sorax or Romulan officer aboard this ship. You expect me to believe the word of a piece of technology that moves like a human. We expect you to believe the commander of the ship. You have two hours. I trust the Dishashians have meaningful burial rites for those who do not return home. And the screen cuts off just as you start talking. What an asshole. Vran immediately spurts out and just goes, Commander, sorry. I'm going to let it slide. Thank you, Commander. What's I'm our sorry. plan? We need to protect the Jashashians. He's not going to believe we... the truth. He will never. He has a grudge, and unfortunately, we need to do whatever we can with or without him understanding a gosh darn thing. We need a decoy. <sighs> A distraction. Uh, hey, hey, hey! Want to go on a wild? Yes, friend. You need to speak faster. <laughs> We're near a particle fountain. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that the Shackleton Expanse is already problematic with all of the subspace rifts that are floating around that we can't really chart until we're on top of them. And thankfully, the USS Ross has done a good job of avoiding them. But the thing is, is they tend to become more plentiful around subspace anomalies, like, you know, say, um, a huge particle fountain that mysteriously appears in space. Hmm. If we can somehow... It's dangerous, but... I bet we could cause um, a detonation, a, a, w a wave effect. Mm -hmm. It would be tricky and it might disable our shields, but it also might cause them to decloak. What would it do the, to the Tshashian station? 
the Dishashian station would probably be busted out of whatever orbit it's been established in, but it, it would survive the blast and we would just be able to tractor it back where we found it again. Okay. Let's make some things go boom then. This is all you, by the way. He looks over at you, Chief Tech, and says, I, 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 this is just an idea. Yeah, I'll, uh, Lieutenant Talon, you're with me. We'll be down in Cetacean Ops. Immediately jumping up, um, dashes past you. And we'll head down. Okay. Shh. The doors close. Exio, you turn and look back at the screen. Out beyond the horizon of this damaged station, there is a cloaked Romulan warbird that's lurking. You see in the distance that great particle fountain, this huge subspace anomaly that has claimed 12 Federation vessels. And now, might be your salvation against a Romulan warbird. You slip back into the center chair, and for the first time since you've ever taken command, you now understand the phrase, the weight of command. Meanwhile. Peppy is the neck that wears the pips. Yes. Coming out of warp is an Orion interceptor flying above Nimbus 3. You are all in the Romulan neutral zone on a very select path that is delegated only to neutral vessels that are moving through the area. Flight to Nimbus 3 is still authorized by members who are not official government representation. So for example, the Romulans can't send warships to Nimbus 3, the Federation can't send science vessels and cruisers to Nimbus 3. Only civilian craft and designated diplomatic vessels are allowed to visit this planet that everyone just wants to sweep under the rug and forget that it ever existed. Azri, looking at it from the viewport outside the interceptor and indeed seeing it on the sensor display uh, in front of you, you're reminded how it's at one point Nimbus 3 was a hub for the Orion Crime Syndicate. This place has this place has since become very independent. Since the fall of the Orion Crime Syndicate, Nimbus 3 has kind of become whoever's alive to say that they're the leader of this place is now the leader of this place. This is the Moss Eisley of Star Trek. Nimbus 3 is a hellhole. It's out in the middle of the desert, and it was supposed to be what was supposed it was supposed to be this oasis and a symbol of friendship between three governments. Neither none of those governments took that seriously. And the place has long since fallen into disarray. They all got away, sis. <laughs> yeah. The three ambassadors that were stationed here, well, let's just say they there have been no re government representation has been officially stationed at Nimbus 3 in decades. Oh, the stories we could tell. Well, Sorax, this is your connection this time, not mine. I should probably tell you that due to unfortunate side effects of my memory loss, I only vaguely remember my connection, but it is enough to go on. All right. Any pre-established covers we should be aware of and respect? Do not call yourself Federation when we go down there. <laughs> Wasn't planning on it. But I meant you. Are you anybody to these people that you know of? 
I might be to the contact, but I don't believe I'm walking into danger. Alright. Good to know. And, uh, we'll hold to you as best we can. The rest of my officers are ready with their covers. Plotting a course. Look at you managed to find a landing area just outside of Paradise City, which is the capital of Nimbus 3. I know, Xander, I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> tonight's episode is sponsored by Guns N' Roses. Um, settling, setting the interceptor down is basically laid out before you. You see there are a lot of different types of shuttles. Now, interestingly enough, you might think that this Orion Interceptor would gain attention, but as you set this Orion Interceptor down, there's actually other Interceptors here. You actually see a few Orion Interceptors. They don't look quite as... I should say, they don't look quite as janky as the one that you're in. Yours looks like it's gotten some mileage on it. The other ones look like they're kind of upkept. Yeah. Okay. Got some jank in the tank, yes. Paradise City is... It's a city. I mean, it's surrounded by a wall, most of it falling apart. Um, lots of people milling about the front gates of this city. I mean, it, it's it's called a city, but in actuality, it's about the size of a fort or an establishment. Population probably like 600 people plus, maybe more. But it's not actually, doesn't look like it's a city. Um. And judging from the state of the buildings, this place has probably got another 100 years or so before the desert finally kicks it and knocks it down. There is still, to its pride, a holographic sign projected on the outside doors of Paradise City, um, flashing in what would be bright neon lights that says, Welcome to Paradise City. Uh, there is graffiti everywhere. Some of it, not even it, across languages, uh, the, the spectrum of languages of, of the galaxy. Lots of it not really worth repeating. Lots of imagery really not worth describing. The moment you all have exited and are immediately just pummeled by this wall of heat as you step out into the desert atmosphere, for some of you, namely the Cardassian, for sure, this is nice. Ah, it's like a hot day on Cardassia Prime. You notice, too, that Slabaz also seems to be quite pleased with the heat as it impacts his skin. He just... Nice. Wouldn't want to build a home here, but... Nice. Sol sees some graffiti written in Orion and busts out. The poetry. It um, says, take me down to the Paradise City, where the Orions are green and so damn pretty. I was gonna say, a day. Glorious poetry. <laughs> Truly um, for generations. Moving into the gates, I want everyone real quick to describe what your characters look like and what civilian clothing you're wearing. So we'll start with you, Bonnie. What is McCrell wearing? Yeah, you. Well, great, because I'm wearing a, right now I'm wearing a double leather coat so no one would see and I'm dying. 
because <laughs> it's fur and leather. Macrell, um, being very small and petite and not very intimidating and probably wouldn't be able to be passed as like a security, uh, has to go a different route. So lucky for the captain, she has an old dress in her closet that she was able to dust off for this Paradise City excursion. Macrell is wearing a red sequence <laughs> dress and is quite literally dressed like a little sex kitten. <laughs> this is the first time anyone has ever seen Macrell showing any fur. In the backdrop of the environment, which is very unhospitable to what you're wearing, however, McCrell, being Cation, is moving across the sand in this getup without much difficulty. I'm and his strong wearing, looks. I'm, yes, there, yes. Um, I have a, um, a slit on one side, but uh, there is a, I have a, a thing around my, my right leg uh, with a knife hidden. Okay. Just in case, because everyone else has a weapon. I don't really have pockets. So. Okay, fair. What's Lacat wearing? So Lacat is on. Uh, so she and Prawl are playing security. Like that's their uh, that's their cover. I would say for this. Um, well, he actually is security, but Lacat is pretending to be security today. Um, and so I would say she is actually wearing the closest she has worn to uh like what you would see like someone in the Cardassian military wearing um so uh i, I think that in this Maz Eisley like place she wants to be taken seriously and like and and i think that she wants to be like just naturally given a wide berth so uh that's that's kind of like the black leggings the like combat boots that's the um it's uh, the the dark uh, tank top, and it's very plain. And she's got uh, her phaser on her. Correct, uh, Captain? Yep. Yes. Please be Correct. armed. Please be dangerous. Please um, be obvious about it. But really, really practical clothing, I would say. But also something that, like, she she didn't stray away from the coding of Cardassian military. Okay. Say. Yeah. Prawl is albino and is wearing all the protective gear that he needs in this environment. So he is completely covered. He almost looks like an intimidating, like secretive creature. He has this long hood up over his face, a mask across like, that's like, you know, we should be wearing today across his like the front part of his face tied tight. He has a high collared leather jacket. The phaser rifle has been wrapped up to hide a lot of its signatures but it is it's wrapped up almost like an old school like long rifle that a sniper would use in the jungle type wrap all across like the front top of the face rifle down the back it is strapped to his back invisible i'm sorry um if Paul gets a tactical turtleneck. I want a tactical turtleneck. It's not so much a turtleneck. It's it's a it's a jacket. It's it looks like this. Uh, it's one of those futuristic Star Trek jackets that right. actually covers, but also allows heat to like it keeps him cool as well as wraps right. him up real well. So it covers the front like part, goes up to about his chin, before it separates and buttons all the way down. He has uh, dark leather pants on and high black leather boots. He kind of looks like a batman villain he's just he is just decked from head to toe it is to protect him but he looks intimidating you can see too that underneath the hood he has what looks like 
these sort of goggled glasses that just clip on that have like a mirror finish to the front of his eyes, also protecting his vision. Um, and he, yeah, he, he exits. Uh, what is our captain wearing? Well, like Dr. McCrell, Sol is here to support Sorex as what an Orion would most often be taken, arm candy. So they have laced up thigh-high boots, and frankly, that is the garment of clothing that covers the most skin of anything they're wearing. Very, very short, very leather shorts that are laced up the side, and something less like a shirt than a harness, although there's a little bit of fishnetting for the presumption of shirts and shoes and surface, but frankly, much more would be overdoing it. It's probably the first time anybody on the crew has seen the amount of Orion cultural tattoos that they have on them. Mm -hmm. You can tell they're extensive. And until they get out of the Interceptor, they're very much in their typical captain mode. And as we step into anyone's possible sight, they very unselfconsciously theater kid kind of energy slip into being the arm candy for Sora. You just see the demeanor, this presence of command just fall away as Azri goes full intel officer. All that training coming to bearing, you're all getting a good glimpse at how it is that this Orion was able to completely infiltrate and dodge the Orion Crime Syndicate's most perceptive officers. Sorex is dressed very much like someone who has lived on the fringes of society on the, in the galaxy. Fingerless gloves that look like they're probably made out of cheap cloth, uh, a short shirt, that uh, comes barely comes down to about the waist level. It's not cropped, but it is. It is short. It looks a little torn. It is short sleeved. You're getting. A, it does have like a, a wide open front collar that goes down to about mid chest, like old Kirk style. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's big, long V neck with a big open collar and long leather breeches that fit into brown boots that look worn as hell. Uh, Sorex, you get a sense now that you're actually seeing Sorex like this. You do see like the wiry muscle frame. He is not somebody who is built for what would look like an athletic build. You're getting a sense of what a Romulan looks like after years of training to be fast as hell and strong where they need it to be, resilient and strong where they need to be. Not a weightlifter. This is somebody who's probably got more of a swimmer's body than anything else. So it looks like they're just wiry, lean, and powerful. Um, and Sorex, he's fitting the gloves on and just says, try not to make too much eye contact with people here. And if they make eye contact with you that lasts a little longer than a few moments, rattle your sabers. You know the expression, show your guns. And I don't mean these, Captain. Oh, I'm not here to be intimidating. I'm here to back you up. <laughs> they won't I am not very... 
I don't look very intimidating. Okay. <laughs> Macarl's just like, this is fun. Lacat, are you my bodyguard? I had. I'm, I'm bodyguard. Oh, right. And I guess your bodyguard as well. What are the stories here? Prawl just says, pulls the mask down, says, yeah, I'm your bodyguard, whatever. We'll have your you have three bodyguards and two arm candies, I guess. Captain. I guess you're very important. Very well. Shall we? Let's. The lot of you, this ragtag bunch, go walking in to Paradise City on Nimbus 3. Moving through the gates, immediately you're greeted by people who don't really seem to care too much that you're, even even in your state, you don't get a lot of looks. Um, you see Klingons, you see humans here, you see races that span the galactic spectrum of people that wander in and out of the neutral zone. Some of these, like, some of these people have fallen on a hard time. Some of these people just came here to forget about the rest of the galaxy. Um, a drunk Uridian bumps into Sorex immediately, who Sorex violently pushes aside. And uh, as he's shoved aside, you see Slabaz stop him and just mm. And the Uridian just goes, ah, ah, ah. Sorry, Slabaz just looks down at him and just says, Give me your money. Oh, I, I, I don't have any money. Then I'll take your life. No, 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 I've got, I've got a little bit. I'm sure I've got some some money here. Sorex is watching this as he pulls out a few what looks like coins from who knows what worlds. Slabaz takes it and just Goom. shoves him away. I don't know what this is. Somebody want it? Jane will take it. You snatch up the coins. Trade. Trade. Sorex seems to be guiding you towards an establishment, but it also looks like he's a little uncertain as to where you're walking. The sand here has been packed down so much that it is basically hard floored. It is tight, like packed mud that has been compressed over and over and over and over and over. So you're walking on, <laughs> for those who know Burning Man, it's like walking on the playa. You are moving across like this dusty flat space that's solid. Um, I know neither as... walking nor the playa. Okay, good. So this is this is totally science fiction Relatable for you. Relatable <laughs> content. Uh, as we're moving, I'm being very careful not to make eye contact with the rest of my crew, lest it be the thing where people look to someone who's leading the mission rather than the ostensible lead. Mm -hmm. But given that I am on Sorix's arm i am guiding with a bit of confidence just you've picked the direction and now we're committing to it and we're keeping moving uh so that he gets into the rhythm of being comfortable with it even though i can feel the hesitancy in his step yeah uh guide uh back leading we might say in swing what you're impressed with captain is the same kind of training apparently is kicked in with sorex he, remembering that this was a deep cover operative in the face of high command at Starfleet, Sorex begins to walk with a little bit of a swagger and starts to develop something of a personality. 
You can tell that a story is developing in his head as to who he is, who y'all are, who y'all are to him, that kind of thing. And he pauses as y'all reach what looks like an open square where a woman off to the side, maybe Ferengi, is throwing up in the alleyway. He glances left and right and says, This... This place, uh, it used to be a bar. He glances around and says, oh, it's still a bar. You see this holographic image is still trying to turn on. And just flick... possible definition, yes. It flickers on and off. It, it looks... It looks like it's... It looks like it has been long left in disrepair. It's kind of difficult to see what the name of the bar is, but it's one of the many watering holes here in Paradise City from the looks of it. And he points at it and just says, if she's still there, this would be where we would make contact, I believe. Then let's make some contact, Mr. S. It would be wise for uh, bodyguards to enter first for appearances. Uh, it would also be wise to establish that our Cardassian friend here is sort of the leader of our security. No offense. As he moves to the Gorn and into the Trill, Prawl doesn't seem to care. The Gorn just says, wait, 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 why, am I, why not me? Because... Cardassians have a reputation. Gorn have a reputation. And? And Cardassians would probably be leading this party. You are making fun of me. I wouldn't do that. If we conform to what they expect of us, the boss, they'll notice us less. And that's what we want to do. We don't want to provoke any curiosity. Romulans. Romulans think Gorn are stupid. Romulans are so wrong. You think because I'm big and that I could eat you alive right here in front of everyone that I'm a fool. You see some, you see this Gorn is kind of working himself up and Sorek says, this is because everyone else is a fool. And they don't know what you just explained to me. We are appealing to the stupidity of people who are beneath us, Gorn. That is the nature of being discreet. To his credit, you see Slabaz go. You're good at talking your way out of getting your ass kicked. Yes. Not willing to admit that he's been kind of put in his place and been like, calm the hell down. Slabaz kind of slinks back into his position by you guys aside and just says, Cardassian can tell me what to do then. Uh, you know what? Actually, Jane's gonna kind of throw a quick glance without giving the whole thing away to, to Sol just to see if they're cool with this. Um, because as far as Jane's concerned, like Sol is still running this ship. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, if she gets the nod from them or like even just the look, I think that she's going to be like, all right, now that that's settled, uh, I'll enter first then. Okay. And uh, so Jane's gonna do it and she's gonna do it with tactical precision. Um, I think that she, like, she she wants to enter. Um, obviously, uh, Sorex is the one who knows who we're looking for and where we're going. But I think that like Jane wants to go in um, and do like a brief scan of the place, I guess, and just like you know see if anything sets her suspicions off. Okay, so you're going to very calmly pull out a Federation tricorder and just kind of do a scan. <laughs> oh no! Oh my God, scan! I keep saying the word scan. I meant like like visual scan, like ah, scanning, okay. like skimming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done this one before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that takes me back. That's back when we were playing in person. Um, oh my God. Um, I'm forgetting. Okay. So you glance around. Um. Yeah, glancing around. Okay, so the first thing that this is a description that everyone gets, but you're getting it first, Lacat, since you're leading this. Sure. But as you step in, first of all, the entire interior of this bar is cast in this bright neon pink glow from the lights overhead, and it lights up all these, these just like an array of colors all across the wall that's constantly flashing. You know that some of the colors that are being displayed upon the wall, just because you're a scientist, Mm -hmm. um, some of the spectrum of color that's being displayed upon the wall are actually not visible to people with only three cones in their eyes, Mm -hmm. Um, which means that many of the species of the galaxy are capable of seeing multiple colors of the spectrum or seeing the ultraviolet and the ultra-colored light spectrums that are being shown all over this bar. At the center of the bar, um, you do see there, there's probably about 15 people in here milling about. There is music playing. There appears to be an androgynous looking dancer up on stage that is dressed out in very fine clothes that it's very slowly removing that no one is paying attention to. Everyone in this bar looks like they are so wrapped up and getting lost in their drinks and whatever it is else that they're doing. Um, the person at the bar looks almost fully cybernetic um, all across like the sides of the face, down the collarbone. Uh, looks pretty much like a person that is built into technology. Um, and it's just very calmly like wiping the bar down and then running what looks like a laser across the surface of the bar, killing anything that may have like any microbes that may have collected there and just and notices you and says, come on in, we serve Cardassians. There's a technological like stereophonic, think of it this way. The bartender almost sounds like a Turian. There's sort of this, there's sort of this like stereophonic, bird-like hum to their voice as they as they speak to you. And a few moments later, everybody else pads into the room. No dangerous figures. What's that? Are there any other Cardassians in here? Just out of curiosity. Not that you can see. No. Okay, great. No. Um, so Jane walks in. Uh, I. I think that she's playing part of bodyguard, so she's not going to engage in conversation where she might usually do it. But um, how's Prawl uh, doing? What's what's he paying attention to? I mean, Prawl looks like the Dark Avenger. As he moves into the room, he's completely masked now. And the glint of the neon pink light is catching the glasses that he has underneath his hood. So every now and then you glance over and there's almost this like reddish pinkish gleam coming out from underneath the hood as he steps in and does pretty much what you just did scans the area immediately assessing tactical threats and finding out like who here is possibly a danger 
However, nobody in this bar seems to be paying attention to you guys. And the only time y'all get attention is when a very large Gorn steps in behind you. Amazing. Um, And my last question is, how many exits are in this place? And I'm including vents. It looks like there's three. There's a window on the far side that's big enough for even the Gorn to jump through. Um, There is a back exit, which is slightly ajar right now. And judging from the look of it, when you think it's a jar, you actually see it flutter a little bit and realize that it's probably a heavy piece of cloth that's actually covering the exit in the back. And judging from the amount of sunlight that's casting, cascading through that breach in the cloth, it leads directly to outside. Awesome. And then, of course, there's the door you all came in. Okay, so I think the only thing that Jane wants to do is she wants to check that un- that, that fluttering cloth. Um, she does not trust that thing. Um, okay. So... so- She's just gonna uh, point to that. Um, okay. Look at Sorax, look at Prawl, um, and she's just going to go check it out and get an understanding of what exactly is behind there. Maybe even who is exactly behind there. Who is the man behind the curtain? Um, okay. Yeah. You, so everyone moves in. Situated. Yep. Everyone moves in and finds a table. Sorax just moves over and slides into a booth and everyone just kind of follows the lead. Uh, you move over to the curtained area in the back. Judging from what you can tell, Lacat, as you move towards this curtain and you pull it aside, you see a back area where it looks like a junk heap is being kept. You see old hovercraft-like objects, like maybe like parts to technology that would have been the equivalent of like hover bikes. They're all just kind of like jammed back there. Most of them look like they've rusted and decayed. You see a few knickknacks. What's curious about this Lacat is a lot of them looks like they span the centuries. You're seeing technology in the back that looks like it's rusted and decayed for a long time. It's been at, it's been back there for a while. Uh, being the scientist that she is, she like stares at it for a second and is like genuinely curious and like wants to look at it. Okay. Realizes she cannot right now. Um, any stragglers out here? People on smoke breaks. People walking by. Great. Um, okay. Uh, so she knows what's back here. She feels slightly better, so she's gonna head back to the table. You move back and you slide into the booth where everyone else. The Gorn, however, not sitting in the booth, just stands there. The bartender uh, begins to make his way over. What's up? I was gonna say, could can I? Uh, although I'm, I'm playing the arm candy. I'm uh, I'm obviously paying attention to what's around the room as well. Can I hear or see anything that the others might miss since I my hearing is a little bit more acute? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm so acute. <laughs> no? okay. um, as your ears kind of pivot around, you're listening to mm-hmm. all the different types of conversation in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not picking up anything of particular interest. Most of the people okay. in here are kind of like, you, you're hearing a name conversation like so. Why does it have to be so damn hot? It's always hot. Shut up. Like back and forth and name people mm-hmm. who are either coming out of the stupor of drinking too much, that kind of thing. Okay. McCrell is enjoying this way too much. And so like as she's walking, you know, on Sorax's other arm, like you can like uh, she's shaking her hip like a lot and she never <laughs> gets she never gets to be very womanly, you know. So she's her tail is flipping behind like very seductively, even though no one is looking. To her, she is the star. You know, she's very happy. Uh, When the bartender approaches all of you, you see that it is older technology, but he is half cybernetic. 
it looks like it's kept up pretty well. Um, you can see the left side of his body, the leg is cybernetic, but it's not designed to look like it matches the other leg. In fact, it looks more like a prosthetic that moves in his will, sort of just like uh, like a metal cane that folds as he walks and serves him quite well. He moves over with agility and stops in front of your table and says, don't ask for anything too weird. I don't have anything too weird. What do you want? Are you waiting for somebody? Don't everybody talk at once. I only have two ears. You need a minute? Is this place named after the Guns N' Roses song? The what? <laughs> Never mind. Water for me. Water. It's cool. Uh, fine. Any anything else? Give us a moment, please. He pauses as he looks at Sorax and says. Sure, yeah, take your time. Sol looked like they were uh, about to make an order, and as soon as Zorix says that, they... Okay. Just deferring to uh, the man there with. Okay. And looking just very quickly uh, as the bartender leaves, and on that pretext of eyeline for any women, because Sorx had used female pronouns. Mm -hmm. You're all sitting at the table for a moment, and Sorx begins to look frustrated. He begins to, like, clench his hands and says, I've been here. I'm having trouble remembering. I've been here. Something important about this place. And it's harder to remember if you're feeling stressed about it, you're going to lock it down. Um. I my hand and just squeeze his arm a little bit, and just the slightest pheromone calm. Really not, really ease on it. Okay. Uh, but just can see the agitation building. He... He you, he begins to visibly calm down. I mean, you, there's one thing you know about Romulans is that when their tempers flare, they get, they're not happy. It's not fun to be around an angry Romulan. Um, you see him calming down a little bit, easing with the frustration. He also notices that McCrell is watching him too. And you get the sense that like, you, you see him just kind of like closing his eyes. And as he closes his eyes and he starts to like calm himself, he's thinking back and we're gonna do a quick flashback. I was about to say, is there anything on the table? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect enough. So he glances at you, McCrell, and the two of you exchange this, no this knowing look. Back on the USS Ross weeks ago. Set the stage for me. It's the holodeck. Yes. So McCrell has noticed that um, even with his, when his brain was deteriorating, Sorax, his muscle memory was always intact. He would always go straight into uh, fight mode. He would always, he was, he was always uh, knew exactly what his body needed to do uh, for attacking and, and restraining and, and basically ripped my shoulder out of socket. So uh, I recruited Commander Exio and we decided to do a little memory exercise with Sorax. Mm -hmm. And basically um, Dr. McCrell has been doing um, uh, like movement and fighting uh, 
defense exercises with Sorax in the holodeck. Uh, and while we fight, uh, Commander Exio um, has conversations with him, trying to trigger his actual memories with his muscle memories. So basically when his fight or flight, um, his when his fighting memory muscles come into play, uh, it seems to maybe help trigger some of his actual memories. Um, it's a Ex experiment. Exio, what yes. you're noticing, what you're noticing as this training exercise is happening, is Sorex first of all agreeing to this because thrilled to no longer be confined to a bed and to actually want to move his arms a little bit and yes. kind of like he's been wanting to like pop and stretch a little bit. But as these exercises have kicked more and more into gear, he is being reintroduced to his, the old movements that he's been familiar with. Yes. Exio, you and McCrell watching him move in these training exercises, you can predict that he has probably been training for a better part of 20 to 25 years in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Being a Romulan, he already has like an extensive lifespan that he can look forward to. But what, you, what you're impressed with is you would guess that this Romulan knows how to kill just about everybody with his bare hands. Like the way he moves and the grace in which he moves is very much- And it's a good thing we're just sparring. Yeah. The, the, the ease in which he flows and moves around, you, you definitely, you're yes. getting a glimpse as to how it was he was able to elude security and why he is such, such an efficient agent at what he does. However, yes. uh, you do see a lot of the times that he gets hit and he does get hit all come from moments of frustration where he stops okay. for a second because he works into it or he gets into an emotional state to so at one point where he comes walking back over to the two of you with dark green blood like caking under the side of his mouth and he just kind of wipes it away and says i can't focus like i used to uh the minute i see his frustration um i like i make sure that he's actually looking and then immediately uh, go to attack him myself. I, I try and I try and trigger his 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 exact um, muscle memory. He's quick because like how he did in the sick bay. He's quick mm -hmm. when he's looking. When I'm not throwing things at him. Okay. So I'm just going so, to look at him calmly and just without any uh, explanation, just immediately go go to hit him to see if he'll block it. Yeah, he doesn't. Instead, he slides off the line of the attack. Mm. And so the the attack itself, like, brazes right past his chest, tearing some of the top part of the clothes as you swipe hard. And when you finish the swing, he's got his arm locked underneath yours and his fingers cupped underneath your chin. Great. I'm going head... to put my back, I'm going to put my back leg back. Uh, uh, because he forgets I also have a tail. Sure. And, and swipped that really hard to uh So what to you see, Exio, is yes. she counters and does a doubled lock and they go spinning. Like for a split second, both of them are airborne, spinning horizontally until they both hit the ground. And when the roll stops, the both of you have each other in a perfect yep. submission lock. Yeah. <laughs> I... I look back up at the rest of the room. I wave away the basically like crash test dummies uh, yeah. that he's been uh, sparring yeah. with. And I look down and I go, you've been thinking too much. You're sparring with her from now on. What's your name? And I'm immediately going to 
Uh, as soon as we're like uh, off, I'm gonna immediately like go in for another kick as he's thinking. And the two of you, right as he's about to answer Exio, a ball of fur flies at him and he's in full <laughs> combat mode. Back Fight at the bar. <laughs> Fight through it. You're just kind of watching. Back at the bar, Sorex begins to calm down and you see his fingers slow. And the, there's a moment between the two of you, McCrell, where you're remembering the moment at the holodeck and he just kind mm -hmm. of... I'm going to tap him with my tail a little bit. Just like a... Not not as an attack, obviously, but like as a reminder. like That he's thinking too much. You see he grins at you, glances at you, Captain, and he's about to open his mouth when his eyes dart to the left and you see very slowly, very deliberately filtering into the room a crowd of people. All of them are armed. <laughs> they are holding rifles and blades and a whole like host of things. And as the, the retinue comes into the room, it becomes clear that there's at least 10, possibly 15, as they begin to surround your table. One by one, they begin to gather around, and Sorex just watches. The Gorn also just watches, like, are you kidding me? You see Slabaz glances down at all of you as this is very calmly playing out. They form a half moon around the edge of the table until the middle of the way parts as you see someone sort of slide between them. The person that slides between them is an Andorian woman. What's really curious about her is the cloak that she is wearing, the hood that covers her face, is also gently blasting cold air against her skin. So you see this slight vapor against the hot air snaking around her features and leaving the under part of her hood. You can also see the cascade of white hair drooping down around the top that she is wearing that's very similar in fact to what you're wearing for a top captain um she is of course wearing leather breeches though and heavy boots that would protect her feet in the hot desert but this andorian judging from the scars that she has across her abs and across the forearm it looks like she's probably somebody who leads this ragtag bunch you also see she has a small collection of pistols around her right thigh. <laughs> and she comes to stand in the dead center of this group that has very calmly surrounded you. Everybody else in the bar begins to stand up and leave. And Sorex stares at her and waits. And from underneath the hood, she pulls it back just a little bit so you can see her features these angular features, this high cheekbone, these icy pale blue eyes, and a scar that kind of makes its way, snakes around the side of her face, and meets up with what looks like a burn scar around her chin. She's quite handsome, actually. As you're looking at her, Captain, this looks like an Andorian woman that's probably been all across the galaxy. And judging from the look in her eye, there's no maliciousness. There's more of an amusement as you see the crease of lines on the edge of her eyes. And she looks at Sorex and says, well, are you going to say hello and goodbye this time? And Sorex glances at you, Captain, 
and he says, I, yes. She narrows her eyes a little bit and glances at the rest of you. Oh, Mr. S, is this the old flame? Hi, I'm Vel. Vel? Yeah. Do you extend your hand? <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, like, uh, style. She Not takes like it and kisses thing. your hand. Mm. She says, lovely name. You see these pearl white teeth against the dark blue gums as she smiles at you. And she leans back and says, so this is the new crew, I take it? Yes. I've come to ask for a favor. Favor? You're out of favors, Sorex. You cashed in your last favors the last time you were here, remember? Do you remember what I said to you before you left? Before you left me? Do you remember what I said I would do to you if I ever saw you again? And he just says, Yes. And thought I would take my chances. And she nods and says, You can bring your friends along if you like. He narrows his eyes for a moment and says, uh, <clears throat> no, that's not necessary. Um, Are you sure, Mr. S? I love a party. I don't think they can afford me. <laughs> the Gorn glances down and makes eye contact with you, Lacat, and you can see in Slabaz's eyes, he's like, now? Do you want me to kill everyone now? You can see the Gorn just kind of like looking at you. Uh, with the with with as much like not now, James. <laughs> um, the, the practice you've got but, screaming with I, your eyes. <laughs> I, I'm the responsible one here. Um, I uh, what what's the demographics of their bodyguards? Like, what are we dealing with here? Spanning all of it. The only thing you don't necessarily see are like other Romulans and other Gorn, but you, you don't see any Cardassians. But most of the people here are bundled up in rags to protect themselves from the heat. Copy that. Um, our demography is big, tough, and ugly. Sorex shifts and leans in and says. There's no way forward unless I'm honest with you, so I'm just going to be blunt. I'm a former Romulan Talshar agent, and I'm backtracking. I'm trying to discover why I was here. You see her eyes widen for a second, and there's some chuckles that, like, emanate from the people surrounding her. And she says, what, is this a game? No, it's not a game. I need... Me and my associates here need to backtrack and find out why I was here and who I can talk to about getting a certain device. Are you that person? Sorex, are you serious? You're serious. You're serious. You see genuine, like, concern on her face suddenly. You did it. How are you still alive? 
What do you know? She looks at all of you very slowly and says, Who are they? Sorex raises his hand and he says, They're with me. She raises her hands to everybody who's got their weapons and they start to lower their weapons. And she looks back at you again and says, The device in your head? Is that what you're here for? He leans across the table and says, Do you have one? And she says, Yes, I do. I'll show it to you. Follow me. Sorex looks at everybody for a moment like... He leans into you, Azarine says, this might be too good to be true, but I, I feel like I trust her for some reason. Well, we're here, and if it all goes pear-shaped, I like our odds. I just look up toward Slabaz. And- Slabaz is just like cracking these thick knuckles and getting a lot of looks from the people around. Um, is there a way, like, I don't want to say anything because I, like, I don't want to give anything away, obviously, but is mm-hmm. there a way to look, kind of look at Sorex and kind of hint that McCrell desperately wants to look at this device as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I'm just going to be like, like almost, almost like the Puss in Boots eyes, you know, like the Puss in Boot cat eyes. From yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to look at him and just have those, like, the little tears, like, almost, like, please take me with you in there. Everyone, he he nods to you, and everyone rises from the table. And with this entourage, you filter out of this bar. It's a few minutes of walking in silence. But as you move with this group, everyone in Paradise City seems to know who y'all are because everyone clears the hell out when she moves through the streets, leaving this trail of cold air flowing behind her, snaking out the top of her hood. You eventually come to what looks like a large building that may have been a garage at one point. It has a large door big enough to function as like maybe a vehicle park. And as you all enter, some guards move aside as this gang sort of follows you all in to this large opened area. Some of them immediately start taking their guns off and tossing them like onto those couches and whatnot, clearly kind of letting their hair down as she guides you all in. The ones following behind you, however, don't disarm particularly the ones that are standing closer to the Gorn with a minigun strapped to his back. But none of them seem to be taking any kind of outward action. But she leads you towards the back part of this room, which is... It, it looks like they probably create illicit items here, from firearms to possibly drugs, from the looks of this place. Illegal stuff that... I mean, already, as we glancing through here, you're like, yeah, this looks like an old Orion Syndicate hideout. On a um, different day, this would all go so differently. Yeah. But we're here. She leads you to a room where you see a door that looks very different to the other doors. She stops in front of it where you see a keypad, and she looks back and says, I'm going to let you and your friends in because I owe you, Sorex, and because if what you're telling me is true... we might be able to help each other out. 
follow me. She puts her hands over and types in on the pad and the door goes. She swings the door open. And as everyone starts to enter and filter into the room, you see this place is filled with what looks like these long canisters, these, um, what looks like these container units that are long more than they are tall, maybe like five, six feet long. Azri, you've seen these before. These are usually for transporting people. These are usually storage units. Sometimes they're for smuggling people and sometimes they're for transporting people as stock. It is old Orion technology. Some of it has cryogenic freezing capabilities. Some of it is just for someone with like barely, be- barely better than a box with air holes in it. All used in sort of like the futuristic way as everyone's filtering in. She closes I, the door behind all of you. There's three I guards. I barely passed my Chloros check. Okay. Skin of my teeth, uh, not to completely lose my shit at this sight, but. I'm sure Sorex can feel my grip, but yeah. it doesn't change. <laughs> yeah. She moves over to one of these containers and runs her hands along it and says, you were the only Tal Shiar agent to pass through here that had the common sense to get on my good side. And she presses a button and you just... <laughs> and she pulls it open. And as she opens it up, you see laying inside is a Romulan in Romulan uniform. Might be dead, you're not sure. But you see eyes closed, male, maybe middle-aged, has the insignia of the Romulan Star Empire on it. And she leans over the top of this body and says, all we gotta do is cut it out. Ready to deal? That's where we're going to leave the game tonight. <sighs> oh, McCrell is not happy. You don't know if this Romulan is alive or dead. You just see. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I think everybody. No more Puss in Boots. Eyes? Very no more Puss in Boots. I like Puss in Boots. Eyes went straight to. Uh uh-uh. uh. Like, <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Uh, the people <laughs> shrunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Man. Oh. Conundrums. It's cool. You guys are going to commit murder. We're going to blow up. It's <laughs> yeah. all good. Yeah. What clear skies, clear? you guys. <laughs> well, there's let's nothing save clear. A bit of murder we, for next we week for the Blood of the Void crew. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we play Hope Punk, y'all. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Hope Punk is, it's always darkest before the dawn. So, speaking of which, next Monday night, we're going to find out what the crew of the IKS Borku has been doing. We're going to find out what they've been up to <laughs> since their capture of a Ferengi and returning to the Shackleton Expanse. Yes. Because um, the Spectre isn't the only cloaked ship that's been stalking the Expanse. We're going to find out what's been going on with the Klingon crew and what their mission is right now. So join us here next Monday night at 6.30 p.m. for Blood of the Void with our Klingon crew. On behalf of the Stream Punks, thank you so much for watching tonight. We will see you next Monday. Until then, my friends, Hay League frequencies are closed. <laughs>